Maybe not. Hey, friends. It's good to see you again. It's a good way to start. Yeah. I'm Brian. Maybe I'm so. Joe. Let's, Let's start, start the show. show. We already started it because you, you missed the yeah, I was like, uh, you missed the button. What happened? Yeah. <laughs> what am I doing? And we already started because there was great conversation that happened before we hit record. We're, we're just hitting record mid-conversation. So welcome. Welcome to episode 66 in, uh, in Belt, Montana. Yes. Is this officially in Belt? We are outside of Belt. Okay. Yeah. It's not inside. I mean, we're a ways from Belt. Yeah, our, our postal address is in Belt, but uh, okay. yeah, we're like six miles out of Belt. Yeah. Um, fun note, we drive right by one of my early season hunting spots. Oh. Just, just down the road down here is, uh, you'll see a green sign as you leave. It'll be on the left-hand side, mm. and there'll be like a little you know, walk through gate section, right? Oh, okay. Right there is a, a block management area. Oh. And I, I've hunted back there s- several, several times and always been jealous of the other side of the road, which we're on right now, mm-hmm. because this is where the deer hang out. Oh, they're all over the place out here. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, we have uh, anywhere from eight to 12 just hanging out, you know, on our property. And, yep. And then, know. and then, just up the road from you, they get more than eight to twelve. They they get a ton. Yeah, they got a herd up there. Yeah, uh, over over the hill as yeah. you guys came in by that uh, green Quonset hut. Yep. Yeah, there are other. Uh, they get a ton right there. A big herd there, right across the street from where public land is, and there's not a ton of deer over there. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, yeah. There's a lot of wildlife out here. It's it's really uh, it's really fun. You ever get any turkeys? I have not seen a turkey. Okay, because I know there's turkeys. If you go uh, above the sluice boxes up here, oh, okay. there's turkeys up in there, but I don't think they've spread to the middle because then we also have them in Great Falls. And so we're, we're waiting for them to maybe migrate oh, this yeah. way near Belt and Armington Junction. And the other cool thing about Armington Junction, one of my friends and my son now work for the Montana Department of Transportation, and you guys are getting uh, a oh, yeah, new, roundabout here. New bridge, new roundabout, yeah. Yeah, new yeah. bridge there. Um, so, the, okay, this is a sidetrack, but the state of Montana, you get um, points for watching special things happen. Mm-hmm. And so um, as you're, you're trying to work for them, you you sign up to go watch a fence but get put in, uh, a drain get put in, you know, just so you have experience doing those things. Well, oh. there's some special thing going on because of this bridge they're putting in. There's, it's going to look like there's this, like tons of state employees watching work happen <laughs> because oh. they're doing like some like drill under to as they're drilling <laughs> the drain's going to go in and mm. that doesn't happen very often but that's what they're that's what they're doing and many state employees like every three years this might happen so they're all signing up to like <laughs> so that's funny you bring that up because we uh we drove by and uh, you know during the winter months when i uh go to work and when i come home from work, I, I leave early and it's dark and I come home, it's dark. So I never see anything really happening or going on at this, at, at this bridge. And Tara goes, yeah, every time, uh, every time I drive by, she goes, it's just, you know, it seems like everybody's standing around and you're whipping by there, you know, at 55 miles an hour. So you only have just a, a few seconds to look over and see what's going on. Right. Uh, but what you're saying is kind of funny because if, if there's a whole bunch of people kind of monitoring and standing and watching what's going on, that's a, certainly what it's going to appear like. And, and it doesn't look like progress at all. You're like, yeah, of course like, this is taking a year. You have 20 people watching yeah, two guys work. Yeah. But there's actually a method to that madness okay. is so that everybody can get trained that's watching and they know. God, I'll have to remember that yeah. when I when I see it during the daytime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and, and there have been, there's been lots of people upset that a roundabout's going in. 
people people are controversial, almost yeah. political or religious about their roads. So um, I'll give you a little uh, perspective on that. So, you know, I, I drive that road every day, and we've been out here almost. Uh, two years coming up in May, mm-hmm. and so I drive that road every day. And I can tell you that um, what uh, people people don't like roundabouts, and I think it's going to be I think it's hard to figure out like how it's going to work with the semis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I wonder that as well. the The one major thing that I can tell you from uh, driving on the eighty nine and then hooking a left to go west into Great Falls on the eighty right. seven. Yep. So. There's a there's two lanes there. So there's a straight lane where semis, well, or semis or any kind of vehicle can drive straight through like you're going to Lewistown. Mm-hmm. And then there's a turn lane where you can turn onto the 89 and go to Showdown. Yep. What happens is is that when there's a car or a truck in that turn lane, it creates a extremely dangerous uh, blind spot. Yeah. So you look, you're looking at this car and you're going, okay, this guy's turning, and you go to pull out. And someone's whipping through there, and it's a it's a fifty five mile an hour zone there. But I mean, if you're going fifty five, and you go to pull out because you think there's no one behind this person in the turn lane, because you have a there's a blind spot there that could take two or three seconds off your reaction time. Uh, that's I think where previous accidents may have happened, yep. or close calls, or anything like that. And I think that's um, one of the things that they're trying to alleviate uh, is is creating this very dangerous intersection. Uh, because out of all the times I've driven it, that is that's from like oh I think this is where the logic comes from for, oh, and, for doing this roundabout or or part of it right. And I'm I'm totally on the non-controversial side. I love roundabouts. Like I am a huge fan. If people know how to use them, mm-hmm. it alleviates so much traffic. We got a roundabout kind of by our house up there by two J's, mm-hmm. and there's that school. So when the school lets out. Um, it, it gets congested and they put that roundabout in and it's just like, we it, lived it can in, still get backed up, but the traffic moves. Yeah. We lived oh. in Riverview when they put that roundabout in and, and I was okay with it. I'm like, oh, this is much better because there was a huge bottleneck when it was just yep. two stop signs. Right. And you oh, just, yeah. you, you would, you would be six or seven or eight cars backed up and then people lose their patience and they run the stop sign and, yep. or they, you know, they stop or they cut traffic that's going the other way. And yep. I, yeah, I don't, I don't have an issue with the roundabout. I'm really curious to see, cause this is going to be a two lane roundabout and big enough for semis, semis. Yeah. which that's a, also an issue at that intersection with all the semis there and the way station. Because it's a way station too. And yeah. so there's just so much going on right there. Uh, from what I've heard, they've fixed some of the roads in Montana that have been like the most dangerous. And so it hasn't been the most dangerous intersection um, forever. But since they've fixed some of these other areas in Montana that were pretty dangerous, it's now like pretty high on the list as some yeah. of one of the most dangerous intersections in Montana is right there. I uh, I don't have a problem with it. I'm more like uh, I hope they don't you know tie tie up the intersection for six months. Yeah. You know if yeah. they can get it done in two months, then I'll, I'll just adapt to yep. whatever the you know the new process is. Right, <laughs> right. I know we didn't want to talk about intersections. In this podcast. <laughs> Everybody's tuning in going, yeah. we're talking okay. about road yeah. reports. This one's, it's going to be something along like heavy metal or, you know, hardcore metal or I Iron mean, Maiden. It'll be titled something, right? Cool? Yeah, it'll be, we'll think of something because, I mean, we were just at the roadhouse and now we're out at Jason and Tara's house. We had to travel on a road to get there. I mean, <laughs> oh, okay. It all fits. So, yeah, it all fits. You know, it all fits. It all fits. We'll it make fits. it work later for sure. Yeah. But we're, we're in this uh, man cave, which... If you think of of man caves, 
this is the one you think of. It's like an elevated man cave almost. You know? Like like the the pinnacle of man caves is where we're at. Whose who's signatures are those? Uh, that is, uh, there's Alice Cooper, there's ACDC, uh, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, uh, Lemmy from Motorhead. Oh, Lemmy. Yeah, uh, uh, that one on the bottom is a band called Huntress. Uh, which was a, a really great band. The lead singer, Jill Janis, uh, she committed suicide uh, several years back, which is unfortunate uh, yeah. because she was uh, she was a, a very powerful metal singer uh, and, and came along a couple years before female uh, lead singers were really starting to come into their own or be, be more popular. I mean, female singers have been around for, uh, you know, forever and, and female metal singers have been around forever, but uh, she brought a little something different to the table. She had Ooh. a five octave range. She could Whoa. just go from like opera singer to, you know, death metal, uh, you know, vocal fry. And uh, she just had some really, a really cool method of singing. And it was, you know, unfortunate. So I'm, I'm a fan of Huntress. Uh, unfortunately, Huntress. they only made three albums but uh, yeah that was one with the her signature in the band and so how did you get them all in the same thing uh i just i, I actually bought them that way because oh okay uh, yeah yeah i don't uh yeah unfortunately i don't know any rock stars to sign anything so i've been able to yeah you know you, you'd get I'd, I'd pick them up on ebay or uh the judas priest one was a special uh, offering from uh, the band when it first when the firepower album came out you could you could buy the album with the autographs from the band and so i took advantage of that and same thing with cool. alice cooper uh, the you know the iron maiden ones um that one was with paul diano who was the original singer for iron maiden and so that one was uh, kind of a rare piece that i was able to pick up and you know i found i got provenance for it i've got a i've got a letter from the person who obtained it at the concert in 1981 and uh, things like that so some of those things are have that collectible aspect to it that if you know if it costs a you know if it costs a premium price you try to get some provenance to go with it to be able to mm -hmm. say that this is yeah right you right. know this is real or a certificate of authenticity which yep. you you know you have to make sure that that is is legitimate and and stuff like that so that's yeah some of those pieces up there that's that's what they're they're signed and and my lemmy one was great because i i was able to find that one before he died mm -hmm. and uh you know i I think he had plenty of autographs out there, and it was I don't know sixty or eighty bucks or something. I, I I didn't pay that much for it, man. So I was happy with that. Yeah. Okay, so that's right when you walk in the room, and then if we if we move this way, we have like a a closet, but there's no doors on it, and black light backlit onto black light posters. Iron Maiden looks looks fantastic. Yeah, those are those are old uh, vintage Iron Maiden uh, velvet blacklight posters. Oh, they're velvet. Yeah, and the uh, the other posters on the side are uh, a more modern uh, doom band called The Sword, and it's they they've gone back to the old seriograph style of doing gig posters where they they silk screen them with fluorescent inks so that they you, they can be shown under black lights. So they kind of brought back some of that styling from the 70s and 80s where it was it was cool to do a, a silkscreen poster mm -hmm. and and cheaper. I mean bands were doing it because it was much cheaper than than offset printing. So you'd you'd throw a couple fluorescent inks on there that they would shine like that under a black light and uh, they brought that that method back. A lot of bands have done that in the past, 
you know, 10 or 15 years just to, to kind of do a throwback to nostalgia era uh, band poster design. Well, and I, when this happened, I, I kind of felt dumb, but I didn't realize you could silkscreen posters. And, and yeah. we went and got some silkscreen shirts. And then he's like, yeah, any medium. And I'm like, oh, well, duh, of course you could do this to anything you put underneath the silkscreen device. Yeah, when I, when I heard that episode, it was great. I'm like, oh, there's another place that does uh, silkscreening. I want to talk to him about uh, doing a serigraph because I, 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 I love that that aspect of design and doing posters and, mm-hmm. and doing just cool serigraphs. I did one. I, we've got one hanging up at the diner, uh, and I've always wanted to do another one just because it's uh, it's, just, it's just a cool old-school method. Oh, yeah, that would be – well, and, and that's the thing is like looking at these posters in here, you can definitely see where some of your inspiration comes, which you're, you don't try to hide it. Um, but it's where your inspiration comes yeah. when you're creating these like burger designs and, and some of your feature burgers for the week. It's, it's legit, looks very similar to this style. And it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. When I, uh, yeah, my, my office is, is very similar. My, my wife thinks it's, you know, she's like, oh, there's just, there's so much stuff everywhere. But that's, as an artist, that's my inspiration. It's, it's all the visual stuff. I mean, it's the, the album covers, the, the posters, the, tchotchkes the little various things but you know it's it's things that let your mind wander and you think about stuff and then you go oh this is this is kind of cool i think i'm going to work this into a burger idea or a a t-shirt idea or whatever but you got to have those little cues that you play around with and these little bits of artwork that are around uh, give me that that little inspiration you know when i'm when i'm trying to be creative right that's kind of how it works when you're practicing music, though. That's kind of what we were talking about a little earlier before we hit record. Dang it. Yeah. Um, we were talking about um, not being able to do music and not understanding it. And I was just, you know, I, I kind of came to it late in life. And it just kind of, it feels like this. You just got to get familiar with it. And that's what, that's what kind of um, jumped out in my brain when you said that. Like, you just have to have, like well, what's available to you? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like you can't just like sit there and go, well, what if this particular green and that particular pink and the, and all that, it'd just be nice to just like look at something and go, yeah, maybe something like that. And then start yeah. with a little something in mind. Yeah. All that, you need that reference material. A jumping yeah. off point maybe. Exactly. And, and your, your mind, uh, sees that and kind of starts working in its own direction. And, mm-hmm. you know, you'll, it's just, you know, you need one or two things to kind of stimulate your brain. Yeah. I, I'm always looking at a poster like this and going, Oh, I wonder what I'd do different if I, not that I even, I, I mean, I mean, kind of like you, you said that you have trouble, um, doing music. Like I would have trouble drawing something like this, even though that, uh, this poster, uh, any poster, like, let's say I would have an opinion about it yeah. and go, Oh, maybe I'd do this and maybe I'd do that, but I wouldn't know where to begin to actually get that to happen. I would mm-hmm. have to talk to someone like you and be like, Hey, I'm thinking about this or that. And you'd have to give me some options. Like you mean this or this? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they give you that starting point. Like, yeah. Oh, you know, start, start here. So it's really cool. Like we wanted to get to know more about you because I think we mentioned on the first podcast that Tara is kind of like the just she's the face and voice of the business because she's just up front mm-hmm. and she's doing stuff and she's just always available not that you're not totally interesting you're just kind of back there you know making the burgers yeah yeah I'm uh, I'm back there doing my thing and yeah. uh, you know I don't get it I don't get a chance to engage with people mm-hmm. all that much Tara gets to we were just talking about that today and mm-hmm. and that uh, you know she gets to spend <coughs> you know she sometimes she'll spend 30 seconds sometimes she'll spend 10 minutes but she gets to engage with people she 
at the end of the week, she tells me, oh, this person came in and this person came in. And mm-hmm. it's, it's all these people. I'm like, <laughs> I haven't seen that guy in two and a half years. And, you know, he comes <laughs> right. in and, you know, and it's not like they yeah. got to come in and say, oh, hey, you know, say hello to Jason. But it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's nice to have her out there mm-hmm. being able to communicate with people and then, you know, and tell me about it. Cause it's nice to hear uh, of, of other people coming in and go, Oh, that's, you know, that's, that's cool. They came in and, you know, I was buried in the back doing something or I'm in the way back and I'm just mm-hmm. staying out of the cook's way for a little while, you know, whatever I'm doing, but I don't, I don't get a chance to go out there and, and see people unless they sit on the counter and I happen to be, you know, sitting in the window and yeah. I look out there and I go, Oh, okay. I, you know, and then I'll, I could come out there, but you know, when, most of the time when they come in, I, I end up missing people. Mm-hmm. You, so. Yeah, you just had. Um, were you able to say hi to Jamie Ford when he came in? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he came in uh, just a couple of days ago, and yeah, I usually, I usually, he he's pretty good on coming in. He comes in maybe two thirty, three o'clock, uh, and and so I get a chance to go out there and shoot the breeze with him. So there's the secret because I come in at like peak lunch lunch time, and I'm like, yeah. I, I don't ever see Jason. No one's talking all. to you. Yeah, yeah. No I barely get time with Tara be, either, you know, because she's yeah. so busy. But if you sit at the bar, you get more time. Yep. If yep. You sit at the bar, you get more time, and so that's usually where I like to sit. But I actually had a thought that maybe this week I'd eat lunch. I don't know if anybody's ever done it, but every day you're open this week. Oh, just like be there and eat lunch every single day. Whoa. It'd be kind of difficult. Not not because like... The Roadhouse Challenge. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like the Roadhouse Challenge. It just in scheduling, it'd be kind of difficult. We have, we've had a couple people that, that, do, that will uh, maybe not eat every day, but um, we've had people work us in like uh, they'll eat lunch somewhere and come to us for dinner. And then the next day they might come to us for lunch and then go somewhere else for dinner and just kind of bounce around. And we're always very flattered with that. And we've had people say that, you know, again, we've talked about... Uh, just the the type of food that we serve and that it's healthier and stuff. And we've had people say, you know, the the food here agrees with my stomach, so uh, we come here. And and a couple of the customers are older customers, and so they they enjoy getting their meal. And they may obviously they don't want to go home and cook, uh, yeah. so they feel like they're getting a, a good meal at the diner, which is you know which is is nice to see. I mean, if right. you if you eat at the Roadhouse for three nights out of the week, I'm going to be uh, very thankful and you know, and obviously very you know, very appreciative of someone who is going to do that. Well, and yeah. it's 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 all I I can't say it's home cooked, but it is like I, for whatever reason, it's against my nature to say that you're getting a home cooked meal. But that's actually better than some of the home cooked meals I would get. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, like mm. more healthy, better ingredients than what I'd even get at home. Um, yeah, what yeah. is the designation like? Home is where the heart is. So, yeah, what is it? <laughs> It, it, it's got to be just like who makes it What's makes the, it maybe, a home cooked meal. Maybe. maybe it's the intention. Your mom, your wife, the, you. The intention that goes into it. You yeah. know what I mean? They did it with love. Yeah, they, but Roadhouse has that intention. Mm-hmm. They put they put some and love so, into it. Yeah, it's, that's it's right. Home, that's home a whole, meal. whole lot of love in that. That's uh, a secret ingredient. I do want to bring people into this room <laughs> though. Um, so we we got the posters, but right below the posters, there's how many albums am I looking at above the cupboards here? Um, you are looking at probably 400 albums on top of the cupboard cupboards. How many are in? Uh, there's probably another 400 underneath. So I think I have about a thousand records in my collection. Yeah, because because then scattered throughout the room, there's more records as well. Yes. Um, so yeah, we're scattered. We're we're in a room surrounded by about a thousand records, and they're a bunch of hard rock, heavy metal, 
um, posters. There's two full-size pinball machines ah, looking that's amazing. Where was, that's where I was going next. Yep. I'm sorry. We're just taking too long. And <laughs> we've got a record player with awesome Pioneer speakers, which are, I mean, that's old school right there. Yeah, you know, yeah. Rocking got, the Pioneers yep, over here. Got an old school setup. Is there a significance to the record player itself? No, actually, uh, I collect uh, vintage uh, turntables and stereo equipment, but uh, this is kind of like my preferred setup so it's a newer turntable mm-hmm. uh and uh it's got a i've got a small uh preamp uh oh, that's driving driving these two um speakers so these are these old vintage speakers they're uh cs 607s and they actually sound the best out of all my vint- out of all my speakers that i have around so i this is kind of the best sounding setup because i've got a setup out there in the in the living room, and then I got a setup in my office, and so this is kind of like the cool setup. This okay. is really cool. And so, is your office here? Yeah, just down the hall. Okay, so we'll have to take a picture. I was going to say, are we allowed to peek in there before we leave? <laughs> oh, sure, yeah. Okay, yeah. Just like and then documents. also before we leave, I really want to hear like like your favorite song on the record player. Okay. Like yeah. whatever or that okay. is. Like I really just want to like sit in here. That and like, gives me a little like time a, to to work that out. Yeah. I, I think I I think I I think I know. It wouldn't so, necessarily be uh, my favorite song, but it is probably my favorite album. Uh, and it is not necessarily because it's got a favorite song on there, but it, hmm. because it's uh, it, it's recorded so well and sounds so well, and the vinyl reproduction uh, comes out so so good. It's just it's really. Uh, a great album uh, and it's an ACDC album. So oh, it's, it's right. pretty recognizable, but it's, it's incredibly uh, raw and uh, I can talk a little bit about the, the history of that particular album they know okay. and why I like it. Yeah. They know what they're doing in ACDC. I mean, they're other, I mean, they're just geniuses at what it is that they're, what they do. Yeah. Um, and we got to talk about that too. Ooh, we got to get into the, that oh, yeah. sort of stuff. But like Brian was saying, that is a very important thing to talk about the pinball machines. Cause there's, I mean, you told me that there's one that's newer, just came out. Yes. Um, and that's, so I'm looking at two screens. One of them is just like, Whoa, look at that. I mean, it's like clear, I mean, crystal screen and the other one looks old school. So tell us like a little bit about bit. these. There's like eight bit down on the bottom. Yeah. yeah. Like an yeah. eight bit screen. So, um, first of all, I, I'm going to, I'll, I'll plug my, my buddy Al, uh, Al Brandt from Brandt's Amusement. Uh, Brandt's if anybody, if anybody Amusement. is looking for okay. to buy a new pinball, uh, talk to Al. Al was actually my mm-hmm. old boss when I was 16, 17, 18 years old, and I worked at his pool hall where I would play uh, not necessarily this machine. It's the Creature of the Black Lagoon, uh, one of my favorite pinballs next to the Adams Family pinball. And so so I grew up playing that pinball. And so when I was able to, I was able to buy one, uh, a used one that had been re-furbished with LEDs to make it brighter uh, and a a little more colorful. So we ended up buying that one a few years ago and that's the creature from the black lagoon yeah a, so yeah, it's cool. uh it's kind of a 50s drive-in uh, kind of theme yeah. anyway super fun that was our our first one and then uh, two years ago three years ago the iron maiden legacy of the beast pinball uh, came out and it's got cool. um, a lot more advancements it's a lot faster uh and mm-hmm. that's where i i got a hold of al mm-hmm. uh, and he was able to you know buy it and deliver it to us and and set it up and and al's a great guy and his his son logan who i has known since he was born is is kind of coming into the business and 
taking over the, you know, how, how to work on pinballs, how to work on gaming machines and all that stuff. So anyway, it's a, it's a family business uh-huh. and they, uh, he knows his stuff. I mean, Al knows pinballs inside and out. So, uh, anyway, that was why we decided to get a hold of him and, and buy it directly from him. And what you've got is, uh, on these newer pinballs, the, selling point to people is what they call just the the playability or the repeat playability Mm -hmm. so you know in older pinballs from you know 20 30 years ago you're you're just going for high score and you might get a multi-ball and and there's different levels of of uh multipliers and things like that well now it's now it's crazy there's there's different modes there's different Mm -hmm. multi-balls uh it, it makes it so that you have uh, instead of like a video game where you just go beat the levels, kill the big boss, and solve the game, uh-huh. the pinballs have tried to to, to create this um, this playing method where you can constantly get new scores, new challenges, open up new uh, rewards or new goals or things like that. So it's oh. it's a lot more complex now, uh, which I didn't even know when we got the Iron Maiden pinball. I mean, I'm still trying to discover stuff on it, and I've had it for almost three years now wow i mean yes yeah, so i mean pinball machines i mean did so i don't know much about that business but I, <clears throat> i'm assuming that they got less popular for a while but now you're saying this is a new one so they're coming out with new ones <laughs> that's awesome yes yeah, so so stern pinball makes mm-hmm. uh the iron maiden one but mm-hmm. uh, they kind of discovered some time ago that people love uh pop culture and which, of course, mm-hmm. everybody loves pop culture, but they mm-hmm. figured out a way to license it and work it into a pinball game. Like, oh, I just okay. read that they're coming out with a Weird Al pinball because oh, there's going to awesome. be a Weird Al a biopic come out, I don't know, probably next year or something. But anyway, so I was looking at the play field on this, and it's just it's just crazy. I mean, it's it like, like Weird Al is crazy, obviously. Right, right. So it's a very uh, unorthodox kind of pinball. But I was just reading about it, and I thought, man, they just the Stern Pinball Company has uh, different pinballs for all sorts of different things. They have you know horror movies, Back to the Future. They have mm-hmm. uh, you know music. They've got Metallica. They've got Iron Maiden pinballs. They've got just everything. So they've figured out how to take people's love for cult, for pop culture and turn it into a playable pinball game that you can play for years. I mean, I've been playing Iron Maiden for three years and I'll be playing it probably for 10 more years. So, I mean, I'm getting, I'm getting good use out of it because it's always challenging to, to keep playing. So it's not like uh, you know, Donkey Kong where you just mm-hmm. you know, play the game and once it's done, it's done. Right. So that's the fun part about having a, having a pinball. Right. You don't, you don't get anybody on YouTube that's like, I just beat the Iron Maiden pinball in 12 seconds like they do with like Mario Brothers, right? Yeah. There's like yeah. the cheats, not the cheats, but the, the shortcuts and, and you yeah, can see people like get the world record in it. You're not going to get that. Yeah. There's, there's really no shortcut in pinball because you have to, you know, your, your pinball has to do certain things. It has to go around the ramp a hundred times or it has to knock down targets three times or yeah. whatever. So there's no real cheat. To get to that, you right. just you can't cheat it because you have to actually do it. And the ball has to do those things. Yeah, you, you can't. Yeah, maybe get a really powerful magnet. Yeah, is yeah, it, just is, hold it, the, up, hold it balls, up the glass and just kind yeah, of and just kind of move it around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that might be the only way to, to cheat. But then still, the ball still has to do that yeah. thing every time. Yeah, so that's mm-hmm. that's the fun part about about pinball, especially you know as as I'm older. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I want to relive some of that nostalgia from when I worked in a pool mm-hmm. hall and video game place and, 
and I was able to, you know, pick up a couple pinballs and that's, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I love pinball. I got into that Adams family one at the beacon before. I don't think they have it there anymore, but uh, I think it's still around. Uh, Al actually asked me if uh, I wanted to buy it because it was for sale. Okay. And uh, obviously he's looking around here. I had an issue with room. Because this that particular pinball that you played on was mm-hmm. the same Adams Family pinball that used to be in my comic book store in the '90s, and so I had a little the heart same t- one, the same one, yeah, yeah, because it was Al's machine, and so cool. so I thought, oh, I can't let my I can't let my heartstrings get pulled on this and having this little bit of nostalgia for you know having having something that was in my comic book shop and in the 90s and and try to you know shoehorn my way into having tara you know buy me a pinball (laughs) that wasn't gonna that wasn't really gonna work but it it was kind of cool to think that man that that machine is still out there Mm -hmm. uh and that was kind of fun to hear about that even though i couldn't i couldn't figure out how to work it in down here dang it we should start a gofundme for it and just like we, we can all pull pull the everyone's heartstrings and then just oh, yeah. like try to place it at a bar somewhere and then we'll just you guys we'll organize to, some tournaments around it. I mean, how hard the, can it be? Yeah. You need to put that in your office. You if you mm-hmm. if you put Adam's family in your office, you'll play it every single day you're there. Guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Guarantee it. Man. So I, I I actually had that thought while we're talking about this. I'm like, man, a pinball We have enough room. Oh, we have we have the perfect amount of room for maybe even two, but at least one pinball machine. That would be awesome when we have guests come in. Oh and, yeah, you know, like I. So I kind of got down to business when we got here and started setting stuff up, taking a couple pictures. It was really hard. Joe jumped right in. Yeah, like, Joe. Joe got it. I can't help. I can't help myself. Yeah. One, one of the beautiful things about pinball, and there's a lot of things like this, but one of the things that that comes to mind with pinball is that no matter what kind of day you're having uh, or what's on your mind, the minute you, that you hit that start button on the pinball, your your mind. Whatever you're worried about steps aside, and now you have to concentrate on the game. So you can't let your mind wander. It, your mind won't even wander on purpose. Like as soon as you're mm-hmm. starting to hit those flippers and the ball's going around, you're not thinking about whatever problems you have at, uh, going on in your brain or what kind of day you had. As long as you can step up and hit that play button, you play and it just, it just relaxes you. In a, in a weird way. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's tense and it's high and you're, you're going all over the place and trying to follow the ball and stuff like that. But I always like the fact that you, you can play pinball and, and life's worries go away for five to ten minutes. Yes, you know? absolutely. Uh, to, to segue into the heavy metal kind of talk, the Iron Maiden one, there is a Egyptian, you know, like bad guy, pharaoh up uh, there. Yeah. But is that Eddie? The... Yes, right in the center. Right in yes, the center. Yes, that's Eddie. That's Eddie. Yes. Cool. And so I think that's a, that's kind of our way in, because as I look, that's Eddie. Yep. Is that Eddie? Because yeah. that one's pretty different. So they're, they're, they're both... So it's the evolution of Eddie. So as you, as you look at the Iron Maiden covers, uh, it starts out, Eddie starts looking... In the beginning, Eddie looked like a... Kind of like a dug-up corpse. Uh, you know, wrinkly face and still had some hair. And then as he progresses, so this is the second album, this is the Killers World Tour. Mm -hmm. So he he goes from kind of an inanimate zombie looking kind of guy to, uh, you know, this murderous killer kind of guy. He still has his look. And then after killers, uh, comes number the beast. And so he looks even a little more ragged 
and then after number of the beast comes the album peace of mind where his hair is is uh, shaved off and his brain is taken out and you know it's kind of that thing but he, he his image progresses through the years so he goes from uh you know peace of mind to power slave to uh somewhere in time where that's where the somewhere on tour poster comes from mm-hmm. and it just kind of he he kind of changes uh his appearance a little more and more with each album cover there was the same artist until 90 I want to say 96. Yeah, Derek Riggs. Derek Riggs. Yeah. And then they started to maybe outsource. I can't remember what they yeah, said. Yeah, they, they went to a couple different ones. Uh, Melvin Grant did uh, Fear the Dark uh-huh. and then came back and did Final Frontier. So there was, a, there was a gap, and then they went with a couple other different artists. And there's... There is some story on why they stopped using Derek Riggs. I don't. I don't think that he, hmm. you know he had some ideas. The band had some ideas. Yeah. You know, and and that wasn't working out, so they decided to go to a different direction. Then they started. They did a couple albums that were digital art mm-hmm. um, that fans were really not, uh, you know, big fans of. Right. And so uh, there's been a couple different artists kind of worked in, and they've mm-hmm. they've since uh, patched up with Derek Riggs. He's done. Uh, some of their shirts, some of their promotional stuff, but their album covers are done by a by by somebody else, and I I can't recall if um, Book of Souls, which is their uh, second newest, and uh, Senjutsu is their newest one. I can't remember if those are the same the same guy, but Eddie obviously is is uh, the most probably recognizable icon in in rock music, heavy metal music. I mean, he's just he's the mascot that every single person knows who he is okay so i didn't until i started researching for oh, coming okay. out here and doing this mm-hmm. but i mean I, I definitely so recognizable is different than like i recognized it mm-hmm. right and so i had definitely seen it before didn't realize that this was like their mascot's bad it's not their mascot but like it is literally like the personification of of yeah. their band right yeah and then to find out that I mean, you're right. Like everybody does, kind of know about it, unless some, they're somehow in a hole, like I was, and didn't know who Eddie was. Mm-hmm. Um, you've definitely seen Eddie, though. Like everybody's yeah. seen Eddie because he's made his way into video games. Uh, he's made his way into Marvel, yep. and and mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure about DC. Um, yeah, he's he's all over because um, so many people have listened to Iron Maiden. I mean, Iron Maiden is mm-hmm. is essentially the Beatles of heavy metal right Um, they are the most well-known band they're one of the most successful bands in heavy metal Mm -hmm. um they they have been on tour uh they're they're just they're huge they're massive and they also have a massive kind of marketing uh promotional and, and branding campaign to make sure that everybody they create a little eddie something that that most people will like and their and their music is uh, amazingly <laughs> timeless you know mm-hmm. so it's not like they're uh you know just this novelty thing they they keep progressing on through the years i mean they've been around almost 50 years now i mean they're they're right behind judas priest in terms of how long they've been around so mm-hmm. i mean there's there's multiple generations that grow up with listening to iron maiden mm-hmm. and so that that makes them almost ubiquitous with uh, eddie being all over the place and, right. and people you know tara didn't know who eddie was but i mean if you listen to iron maiden you even listen to one song about iron maiden you you know, will know who Eddie is or recognize him. Go, oh, that's the Iron Maiden guy. I think. Right, right, right. And they were even they were even one of the articles I read. It was just like, there's people that 
actually know who Eddie is and haven't heard one Iron Maiden song. Yeah. Like just because he's so, just like you said, that they have this unique marketing uh, that can reach anybody. You don't even have to listen to the band. That they did that all intentionally. Yeah. That they wanted to be able to reach as many people as possible. And there's people that, that haven't heard the band but have worn yeah. several of their shirts. So that, that gigantic Iron Maiden poster behind me. Which is the one I keep looking at. It's yeah. so hard not to look at. It so is a great poster. That was, and I'll, I'll show you afterwards because I, I have the picture down in that cabinet, but that poster hung in my room when I was uh, 12 years old. And so what I would do is I'd sit on my bed and I would draw Eddie from the album covers. And so that, I, I finally got to get that poster framed and you know it's just like you think oh why would you waste money framing a poster like that but for me that was uh a part of my childhood because uh, derek riggs and the iron maiden artwork and the album covers everything influenced mm -hmm. my illustration style mm -hmm. uh when i got older and when i went to school for art and even as my you know doing my freelance art uh, on my own it was it was very much based on the storytelling visuals of the Iron Maiden albums. And that's why uh, there's a little special place in my heart for, you know, Derek Riggs' artwork and Iron mm -hmm. Maiden's artwork. And it was, a, it was a big influence on me and a huge influence on uh, comic book artists, illustrators, painters, everybody. Uh, you know, if, you, if you're in your 40s or 50s, you probably grew up at some point looking at an Iron Maiden cover and going, oh, that's, a, that's cool. I'm going to draw that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. When we found out that, um, I mean, it's hard not to know that you are into, or your your business is definitely into hard rock, but then we knew we were going to do this, and so we kind of asked Tara, like, well, what's what's uh, what's Jason's favorite band? And she's like, oh, Iron Maiden. That's, yeah. And so I was like, oh, well, I'll just do some research on Iron Maiden, because I know that I've heard of them, mm -hmm. but like, Brian, I, I didn't know who Eddie was. I know I've seen him, but I mean, if you gave me multiple choice question and was like, what is yeah. this person's name? I still wouldn't get it. I probably, and, and associated with a, what band I still, I wouldn't know. Yeah. So no, I mean, no worries. Not knowing I, I wouldn't know either. Um, but it was really interesting because I, I kind of found out what you, a little bit of what you just said and like, they're totally popular. Like they have 41 albums. They've won all kinds of Grammys. <clears throat> um, and, they came right after, um, so let's say Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix. They mm -hmm. started turning up their amps and getting a little more angry. And then there was, I think, Ozzy Osbourne. And in that era, there was Iron Maiden back in 1975. Yeah, so Iron Maiden started out as um, they were kind of doing this uh, punk and experimenting with this heavier style of music. So mm -hmm. when you talk about uh, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, yeah, uh, Black Sabbath, uh, and uh, Deep Purple, mm -hmm. those bands, there was a lot of real blues influence. Mm -hmm. uh, even with Sabbath, even they're the they're the progenitors of heavy metal. But mm -hmm. there was this blues influence there. Mm -hmm. And so what happened in the in the late seventies is that you had Iron Maiden and Judas Priest and Def Leppard, who is uh, they're part of this movement called and Saxon. Uh, they're part of this movement called the New Wave of British Heavy Metal. New Wave British, And so yep. these guys all came out of, uh, of England, and what made them very different was is that they took this heavy, speedy guitar style, mm -hmm. and they kind of cut out the blues element out of it. So yep. that's what made it 
very unique, and that's why mm-hmm. uh, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, uh, those ones are like just the the gods of heavy metal because yeah. they they created their own section, and it was right mm. at this time that everybody wanted to hear something new because yeah. uh, it's not that Led Zeppelin was bad or anything like that, but it, it, in in evolution, people were ready for something new, and so Iron Maiden it, it started out with this kind of punk influence. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time they got, and you can really hear it, their first album uh, was a self-titled album, and, and it's got a lot of uh, of punk influence from that time. And then when mm-hmm. they get into their second album, Killers, it starts getting more, you start getting more of the Iron Maiden style of music. And then they got rid of their lead singer, Paul Deano, right. and then went with Bruce Dickinson, which mm-hmm. uh, at that point is when everything exploded for Iron Maiden. That's when Number of the Beast came out. And it was yeah. this uh, incredibly different and heavy, uh, just it was an unbelievable piece of heavy metal history that came out, and that's why they always, you know, it's a it's a one of the greatest metal albums of all time, and it's mm-hmm. it's because it came out at this time where no one had ever done anything like that. That's interesting. You know, I never thought of it like that. Where Led Zeppelin, let's say, I mean, they're still doing blues covers, mm-hmm. you know, they're and and very blues influenced, and I love that. But it's like, well, what if so? The blues to me is sadness, maybe a little anger. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, what if we just take out the sadness, just leave the anger? And instead of being sad that we're angry, what if if, if we just liked it? You know, like like we're at a football game and we we like the feeling of this and And we just want that energy, you know? Tap into that. Yeah, what if we tap into that? And turn into metal. Well, if if you'll indulge me, let me take you back even further. Oh, take us. uh, From Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're going to go way back and talk Mm -hmm. to who I refer to as the... Uh, great-grandfather of heavy metal, and that is uh, Richard Wagner. Hmm. So Richard Wagner uh, had these incredibly complex operas, but what he did at the time was he expanded uh, his orchestra. So he felt that the music was just as important as the words, where Mm -hmm. uh, in the uh, 19th century, that was kind of a new concept among doing operas and doing plays is that all of a sudden, uh, you know, you're you're putting so much influence on the music. So Wagner uh, doubled his orchestra because he wanted it to be loud and huge and gigantic. And so with him doing that and then putting as much emphasis on the speaking parts as much as the orchestral parts is that now he started developing this new style. And then the other thing that he popularized was, uh, it's a term called elite motif, I believe. So whenever you hear, uh, you know, Darth Vader, Mm -hmm. you know, coming onto the scene, dun, 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 that's elite motif. So what that is, is that's a little tiny bit of music that makes your brain recall something or a, an image or a feeling and mm-hmm. you associate it with a character or a lyric. And that was kind of the beginning of what ended up being the, the rhythm part of a song. So rhythm guitar is a, is a derivative of a leap motif. So when you hear people playing music and you're playing a note on the rhythm section, that reoccurring note that draws you back into the chorus or draws you back into a certain feeling about the song, Wagner popularized that. And so what what year are we talking about with Wagner? Oh, 19th century. So probably 
mid 1800s. I'm, okay. I'm I, not I sure. I totally had pictured like 1930s. And so then you started mentioning some things. I was like, no, that seems earlier than that. Yeah, I, I probably I probably should have clarified that. But yeah, no, that's, that, a, that's so, okay. So yeah, so he he was a classic uh, musical uh, guy, and he wrote like uh, Rye of the Valkyries to to give people kind of an idea of uh, of Wagner's um, type, style of music. But he developed all these things that kind of turned into what people. Uh, look to it as an influence in heavy metal. The heavy metal is all about uh, large uh, sound and mm-hmm. the 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 vocalist uh, fighting for uh, prominence between the lead guitarist, you know, and having the rhythm guitarist have this kind of uh, this repeat thing going on in the background that kind of draw that ties everything in as you work through the song and it's really kind of interesting uh, to go back that far and think that's the kind of the foundation of the heavy metal structure because before heavy metal uh you know you had you had blues or you had pop music or uh you know surf rock or whatever but there was really no surf rock had um had instrumentals but for the majority of songs in in pop rock, Beatles songs, whatever, there's no like guitar solo. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no huge emphasis on the actual musicianship of the people in the band. Mm-hmm. So when heavy metal came along, and even hard rock, there was there was some of those aspects that they wanted to do, like oh, let's give this guy a guitar solo. Let's give let's make the drums really prominent. So mm-hmm. now all of a sudden you have uh, you have a style of music where every component in it is just as equally as an important rather than just a, a catchy hook mm-hmm. or a, a, you know, catchy lyrics, things like that. The, the heavy metal aspect of it all is, is a combined uh, a grouping of, of, of variety of different things. I mean, everybody has to be talented in that band to be able to contribute the importance of the whole song. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, that's mm-hmm. a, that's long and rambling answer about, the origin of that. Love no, it. no, that's good because okay, so that that brings a question to my mind. How how would you define the difference between hard rock and heavy metal? Hard rock would be more um, more refined uh, in in terms of the sound production, uh, or it could be uh, I, I, I catchy isn't really the right word. Hmm. Uh, hard rock just doesn't have quite the the heaviness sound to it. Uh, you know, guitars might not be down tuned. Uh, just your method of pl- how you play the guitar mm. is a is a little different uh, than how you play in heavy metal bands. Yeah, there's a thing, um, and I could be wrong on this, uh, but with metal players, if they're using a pick, let's say uh, the the rhythm guy in a metal band. It's interesting um, because they're not like in most most other guitar players. They're doing this um, up and down picking, like you pick down and you pick up, and it goes mm. up down, up down, up down. But with metal, they're more concerned with this driving sound, and so they're all many of the times with the um, the rhythm. They're going to be doing all downstrokes. Yeah, down, yeah, down, 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 down. Yeah, down, like down. Uh, James Hetfield, the the king of the down pick. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's uh, th- that's again that's kind of one of the one of those styling differences between uh, what might be pop music or hard rock uh, mm-hmm. compared to heavy metal. Yeah, and the most interesting I think I most interesting thing I think I found oh that my epiphany that I mentioned earlier I had the epiphany um, so Stephen Harris is the um, originator him and Dave Murray 
of Iron Maiden. So they have three guitar players, one bass player, one drummer, and then a guy who just sings. Mm-hmm. But the but the two people that have always been in the band and not changed, you know, was uh, the bass player and I think the lead guitar player. Maybe yeah, D- the, Dave Murray. Yeah. Dave Murray. I wasn't sure if he was like rhythm or not, but I know he's a guitar player. <clears throat> um, the, the interesting thing about him is this music is so heavy and it is so and the people look like you know the everything looks tough everything looks like you're about to fight like this is a warrior music yeah. you know and and so many of the bass players that i know that try to emulate this they're using a lot of um strength in their right hand to try to really dig into their <laughs> instrument to play it basically play it hard as they can mm-hmm. for this heavy hard sounding music and then I was looking at a lesson on how, like, if, you know, like they were just teaching, like, well, if you want to uh, play like Steve Harris, Stephen Harris, um, here's how you do it. And and what he does is so interesting because, um, so on bass guitar strings, I have one here. Um, this is not flat wound. These This is called round wound. So it's going to have a brighter sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and, they, and usually people that play metal want a brighter sound. Stephen Harris doesn't do that. He has flat wounds, but they're made for him. So he does make them sound a little bit yeah. more trebly, I guess you could say. So they cut through this big, huge sound. And then most um, metal players are playing with a pick, you know, because to get these really, um, really quick notes, the I'll try to, I'll, I'll bring it out with my pick. Hold on. Always have a pick with you people. You know, if you want to do this, don't do it. I mean, all night, that's just hard. But what Stephen Harris does is he does use his two fingers like a regular bass player. Yeah. And what, and so, and so what, basically what I was thinking when I saw that was like, no way, there's no way that I or most humans can accomplish using their fingers and going bam, 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 the whole song like he does. Cause he's also known for a gallop, uh, something you call yeah, a gallop. gallop yep. And it just goes. You know, sounds like a gallop. It goes bump, 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 bump. In most of his songs, that's him driving that and unrelenting with his two fingers on a bass guitar, which is really hard to hear amongst all that distorted. And he has three guitar players. Yeah. And I guess what he does is he turns up the volume on his amp a lot. And then he practices playing Feather Light. So on these heavy, heavy songs, he's actually barely, barely scraping. Oh, okay barely scraping those things and he has and he hangs down his base so it kind of hangs a little bit down which looks cool yeah when they hang low like that but what he's doing is he's making sure his hand his arm is completely relaxed and straight and then yeah. when, when i look at his base he's like resting it and his finger is usually just resting on his base so everything is just huh. er- ergonomically relaxed yeah interesting and he's barely using any effort at all but just knowing that and knowing the sonics of what he needs to do with his bass, I mean, he he's like almost uncopyable. You know, like yeah. you would have to you would have to set up your whole amp and your your playing style would have to be different, and you would have to basically do that now. That's what you do. You don't get to practice other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, um, you know, it's it's pretty amazing. They're um, they've been on the road and they've been on tour just practically nonstop for yeah. you know fifty years. It's I just I. It doesn't matter if you're playing bass guitar or you're mm. playing tennis or whatever, but mm-hmm. if you 
play that instrument every single day for 50 years, you're mm-hmm. just you're a Jedi master at whatever <laughs> whatever you're doing. And that's that's what's really kind of cool about those those guys who are always out, always playing, always doing that stuff. It's just mm-hmm. it's just unreal how what they figured out and what they do and you know, like yeah. you said how they how they don't have to work their body as hard they've figured mm-hmm. out how to get their sound and and be able to be consistent without wrecking their elbow that's right you know yeah. so that's i mean that's that's just that's a cool story to hear about how he has that set up because mm-hmm. i mean usually when i'm talking with uh, metal players or hard rock lovers and the musician types they're all about they they love putting the muscle into their instrument and maybe their fingers will bleed on the strings or whatever and they they kind of lift that up as like something that hey if you're cool you'd do that too yeah and um, it just never sat right with me and i was like well i don't i kind of got to play every week and i don't want my hand to hurt so much so i'm gonna try it my own way and (laughs) that's why i play with my fingers and i play a little nylon string guitar but um it was it's really interesting now to hear like because that's what everyone thinks if everyone that loves this person all the musicians that are picking up a bass and they're like man i'm gonna make this sound they're thinking well he's probably using every ounce of muscle he has to get this demonic monstrous sound yeah when really when you climb to the top of the mountain and you ask little guru he's gonna be like oh you just play lighter and turn up your amp (laughs) oh really oh okay shoot (laughs) oh that's awesome you know it's it's funny that you you bring up uh, Steve Harris because I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll take us back to uh, Great Falls about 30 years ago in okay. a, a band called Black Eagle that was uh, uh, oh, cool. the band at the time. And uh, when they used to play and I would a- be able to you know leave work or I had the night off and I would go watch them, I'd scream at their bassist, Ron Fox. Uh, oh, I, I, Ron. I Yeah, I, wor- I work with Ron Fox at cool. Dagwoods. Uh, oh, cool. When we were younger, and I would always uh, scream at him to play "Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner," and so oh, he yeah. would he would strum me, uh, you know, about thirty seconds worth of uh, "Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner" on bass, and so oh. that was always that was always fun. Ron's a Ron's a good guy, and yeah. and he was he was in uh, the band back when uh, this was in the late '80s. Uh, Black Eagle was the band to be in. Him and she's uh, Greg Good and a guy named Gary and I don't know. Hopefully, if if anybody remembers Black Eagle, put the band members in the comments because I feel bad that I don't remember the drummer. Yeah, who uh, was that? Yeah, because I know so, Ron. He's a very I was you know because I don't know him that well, but I saw him play in a couple bands. Mm-hmm. And when I saw him play, I was like, whoa, this guy's a really decent bass player. You I know? think Ron. I'm guessing Ron. Uh, I never. I I don't remember, but um, I was working at Dagwoods when I was 16, and he was like the cool guy who was the slicer. So he sliced the vegetables. So he was always there when I got there and he got to leave at like two o'clock in the afternoon. And you know, when you're, you know, when you're a senior in high school, you're like, Oh, that dude's cool, man. He he gets to whatever he's doing. He's leaving at two o'clock and he's Mm -hmm. done with work for the day. So we always, always made an impression, but I think he was maybe uh, one or two years older than me. I mean, I don't know if he was a senior in school or he was just out of school, but um, uh, yeah, he's, he was in black Eagle, uh, at that at that age, I mean, he's been playing bass probably in a band since he was eighteen. Because I was watching him when I was seventeen. So, wow. however however long that is, that's a long time ago. But uh, yeah, that was like the band to go see. It was it was pretty unique uh, at the time. You didn't have a whole lot of bands that would do covers and then they would do their own songs. Uh-huh. So it was cool to see them. They, they do all the classic covers. I don't even remember what they were, but I mean, they were, they were doing, uh, you know, 
the covers, and then they'd throw in probably three or four of their own songs over the course of the night, which was like blew us away in Great Falls, Montana. Like, oh my God, this this band has their own songs. I mean, it was just it was like unheard of, you yeah, know, at, yeah. the, at the time. So it was it was always cool to go see Black Eagle. And um, I'm sorry, but a portion of your story has me intrigued. I haven't heard of Dagwoods. Oh, yeah. the Dagwoods Dagwoods Sub Shop, yeah. So, uh, Dagwoods was a uh, kind of like Montana Sub Shop. Uh, okay. They were okay. they were homegrown. They were uh, they were here in Great Falls. They ended up having three locations. They had, um, you know, they had their own uh, bread, and it just it was a drive through and walk up, and you could get a Subway sandwich. And it was just uh, they had their bread was uh, a kind of a classic well-known thing around town like you went to dagwoods and got us and got a sandwich because you just love the bread uh, and so it was uh you know it was it was baked in-house they had a they had a baker there and that that was my my second job uh was working at dagwoods and i worked there for i don't know a year and a half and that, I've been, I've that's, been, that's a nod to the comic right um yeah i think i think so okay yeah it kind of had a it kind of had a bubbly kind of uh, logo to it, which is kind of like the Dagwoods yep. uh, logo from you know Dagwood Bumstead. Yeah, his last yeah, name. Uh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, I think that's what it was. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wait, what was your first job? Uh, my first job, I was a delivery driver for Paisanos, which is I haven't heard of that. Which either. is also yeah, it was a uh, it was an Italian restaurant that did uh, Italian food for delivery, and so that was my first job. When right I here turned in Great 16. Falls. Yeah, it was uh, it was up behind the El Commodore. Oh, that's so weird that I thought of El Commodore when you said that. Yeah, it's the it's the you know the the bingo hall, the big yeah, building, yeah, you know, yeah. in front of El Commodore, clo- yeah. you know, closer to tenth. That's where Paisanos was. Okay, and uh, a buddy of mine got me my job there, and then he went to Dagwoods, and then I was you know because I was sixteen, I'm like, oh, this is kind of weird because everybody else around me were adults. Yeah, and I thought, oh, I kind of miss hanging out with my buddy, and so. Uh, I, I must have said it, or he said it to me. He said, hey, you know, Dagwoods is hiring. So I, I went to Dagwoods, and uh, I didn't have to be a delivery driver anymore. I was in there to be a cook. So uh, I was cooking burgers at Dagwoods. But you didn't get to be the cool vegetable cutter. No, no, no. That was that was reserved for people out of high school. Right, oh, right, yeah. right. Gotcha. Okay. Oh, that's really cool. Um, because we've just been delving into Great Falls history, when I find out about things that I don't know about, I just want to... I want to oh, ask yeah. them, especially when it's food. I, mm-hmm. I'm so attracted to food, but this this gives um, a little bit of insight into um, into you yourself when you're you're creating this restaurant. That your burgers are amazing, okay, but the bread, right? Oh yeah, right. And so you have your own signature bread that um, mm-hmm. that that comes in. That's got to be a nod to where how you grew up, right? And and some of your first jobs. Yeah, like, that yeah. was um, that was one of the things that I was really wanting to have at the diner. Uh, we started out with wheat Montana, and uh, I always knew that someday I wanted to have our own buns. And and it's kind of funny at the time I just figured that at some point we would have a facility and Tara would make our buns because she's kind of the, she's the baker in the family. I am not a baker. She's a baker. And uh, that was always kind of the, the long term goal. And then things happened. And then we were able to develop this relationship with great harvest bread. And I, I was very satisfied. I'm like, okay, our, we've, we've get, fresh baked bread that's what i always wanted i wanted yeah. uh, bread baked today 
uh, gets brought to our diner today. Yeah. And that that fulfilled uh, a really important desire for, for my restaurant. And it has there. to come from, well, not a portion of it, inspiration from Dagwood. Yeah, oh yeah. I right. mean, my, even right. my oh. first job, it was, uh, you know, everything was hand-sliced and the bread was yeah. uh, baked in-house. And so, you know, c- coupled with, uh, you know, my upbringing, you know, from my grandma who had a garden who made, you know, she made breakfast, made lunch, made dinner, and and all that stuff. All it making just, sense. Yeah, uh, all uh, that's a, a very hands-on uh, type of way for food. I don't, I, I just, I don't subscribe to doing food any other way. Right, right. Oh, that's that's fantastic. We do need to get back to to heavy metal, but it, I, I was sidetracked by Dagwoods. I yeah. was sidetracked a little bit there. It's all related. And know. I think I think the majority of where kind of Joe and I went in research, uh, thanks to Tara, was was towards Iron Maiden. But that's not the only thing in mm-hmm. here. I see Metallica. Mm-hmm. You've you've mentioned ACDC. Mm-hmm. Um, what are what are some other bands there? Um, yeah, so there's a there's a variety of different genres. So you have Iron Maiden, which is uh, traditionally heavy metal. You've got ACDC, which is hard rock or rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Um, even Motorhead. Motorhead is a little on the heavier side. Yeah. Uh, but Lemmy always referred to his music as rock and roll. He's got yep. a very uh, punk influence mm-hmm. uh, to his music, but he has a little harder side, and his voice is a lot more gravelly and gruff. Mm. Um, so most people wouldn't think that it's rock and roll, but he always referred to it as rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, Metallica is thrash metal. Uh, you'll see thrash metal. there's an album right up to... So it's all metallic up on this wall. And then there's a Melvin's album Melvin's. Uh, right on the end. And for people who uh, maybe know the Melvins or even people that don't, the Melvins were a band that actually uh, helped found the grunge and the sludge metal movement. So that album right there uh, is what influenced you know, Kurt Cobain from Nirvana, Kurt Cobain drove their van to shows. Really? And so they came from the Seattle area. And so the Melvins, <laughs> that, that particular album is, um, is a, is a proto grunge album. So cool. Kurt Cobain was, you know, rocking to that album, putting together his stuff mm-hmm. and not, not necessarily to that album, but to that band because mm-hmm. he was friends with them. And then, yeah. uh, as most people know is that, uh, grunge, uh, pretty much nailed the coffin shut on, uh, glam metal, glam which is, metal, a, yep. which is another part of, uh, a, you know, a genre of, of the metal, mm-hmm. uh, thing that we're discussing, but, um, that's always kind of a fascinating thing. It, uh, it did a lot of damage to heavy metal, to thrash metal, to glam metal. It killed glam metal almost instantly. Yeah. Um, and thankfully heavy metal was able to kind of survive and it spawned, mm-hmm. uh, other kind of subgenres like new metal and, uh, groove metal which is like pantera uh and, and it just kind of exploded into all these little uh sub-genres that we have now mm-hmm. which we didn't really have uh before nirvana came out there was a few things but after that uh the the metal genre kind of splinted into 50 different sub-genres right, right, uh, yeah. just because it, it needed to become more specific to certain people's kinds of tastes so mm-hmm. to go back to what you were saying is that uh you know in, in these in my cabinets i've got i've got some black metal i've got uh, stuff that's called funeral metal uh which is super super slow 
Um, my current kind of favorite uh, uh, genre that I listen to is what's called doom metal, uh, and it's very yeah. much a, a hearkening back to Black Sabbath. I'm a huge Black Sabbath fan. I'm a longtime Black Sabbath fan. So there's a whole genre that's kind of dedicated to the the sound and the pace and the heaviness of Black Sabbath, and that's that's doom metal. Um, and there's uh, there's sludge metal, uh, which is which I've never heard of sludge metal. Yeah, a so, lot of these are. Um, you know, they're very fringy. Fr- yeah, fringy yeah. sludge. I've never even heard of. Yeah, it's very, uh, very southern. Uh, again, it's kind of slow, but it's got this kind of mm-hmm. southern style to it. Uh, there's a band called um, uh, Down uh, that was started by Phil Anselmo from Pantera, and so he he went from Pantera and he wanted to kind of do a different kind of style that 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 he likes, and that is that is the kind of the sludge metal. Uh, type of style and so he's he's another guy he's a very talented singer that moves around in a couple genres but he doesn't try to work one specific genre into the same band he goes out and starts up another band like he'll start a punk band or he'll start a sludge band or mm-hmm. you know he would come back to pantera which was you know groove metal and that is more of a, an attribute of uh, Dimebag's um, guitar playing mm-hmm. you know is kind of the groove sound of that but mm-hmm. Um, yeah so yeah lots of lots of genres yeah because when we first came in you were talking about i'm not sure exactly how to to organize all of these either just straight up alphabetical Mm -hmm. or if we need to split them up into genres and i'm thinking like country metal you know what i mean like oh yeah like but you're talking like i've got to break them down into these fringe ones too that that go even further and so that's a lot of categories there yeah that's that's uh that's becomes the difficult part like Every time I think I have an idea of how to organize it, then mm-hmm. I then something happens. Goes, oh, I forgot about these guys. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. Or is the, do you or try to genre. do you try to go off of um, you know the the uh, the canon, right? Like what the band says they are, or would you go off of more of what you think they are? I think for universal practicality, I would probably go with how other people classify them right but you know as you guys if you turn around you'll see Mm -hmm. i've got david bowie back here so uh david bowie doesn't necessarily fit into any of this heavy metal (laughs) stuff but uh david david bowie is um uh is a is a a musical uh creative genius i Mm -hmm. just i love david bowie but i don't necessarily uh, i'm not really into his music but i'm into what he's done for music um, so it, it, that's a that's a very cool part of my collection. I just I just love the story behind <laughs> David Bowie, mm-hmm. um, and he's just about practically as far away from heavy metal as you can get. But his musical influence on uh, on everything is 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 pretty significant. So that's that, mm-hmm. that's kind of one of the things that is in my my record collection is I I, I collect significant. Uh, artists that you know made some sort of unique contribution or a contribution that kind of resonates uh, because it is kind of a collection I, I like listening to my records but i also collect uh you know i'm a guy so i collect stuff and oh, yeah. you guys have talked to you know like john collects uh, star wars stuff and that's right. just that's that's what you do john harris sorry yep. yeah, but uh, you know we're, we're guys so we co- you know we collect things and then as you start collecting you figure out what okay what kind of what kind of 
you know, categories can I collect or what, you know, what are my stipulations? And you start forming these, uh, these kind of guidelines to what you're going to collect. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and that's, that's kind of part of it. So it's not just the music. It's a, you know, I've got a, um, I've got kind of a, a mental process behind, behind the records that I buy. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's another reason why it's hard to classify it as in, in genres is because I, I'm, I'm sometimes I'm all over the place. Right. Yeah, right. and David Bowie is a perfect example of that because um, I think I read, uh, don't quote me on this because I wasn't a big Bowie fan either, but I did a little bit of research on him, and I think the thing that really stuck out to me that I really appreciate and made me want to now to listen to a bunch of his music is that he would write a song or write a record and then be done with it. And his goal would be to not copy anything, just to start from scratch and not try to recreate anything. And the record companies would be like, oh no, well, this is all the success that you could get. Yeah. Just make another one of these. And he's like, I want to write the opposite of that. I want to start from the totally different place. And then I just want to see where I end up. Yeah. And the, the, he, that's exactly right. And how he approached it. And the cool part is, is that he didn't compromise that he, mm-hmm. he would, he would create something in a tank and he'd keep going. He'd go, yeah. well, this didn't work. I'm going to do something creative. And he just, he never let go of that creative uh, integrity that he wanted to bring to his own music. And it, it you know, 40 years later, it totally worked. But as, as yeah. you look through his, his older catalog, there were hits and there was misses and there was albums that people didn't like. And then they come back and they like him 30 years later. I mean, yeah. he, and he just, he did not give up any ground when it came to that stuff. And that's one of the things that I thought was really cool about him is that he made the album the way he felt that it needed to be made mm-hmm. uh, in his vision and just said, well, you know, take it or leave it. And that's it. Yeah. And, you know, I'm under contract. I got to give you three albums. Well, here's one of them, you know, and then they would decide like they weren't going to market it or, you yeah. know, whatever right, they, right. if they didn't think it was going to have a hit on it. And he, you know, his, his music is not really, you know, pop hits, you right. know, there, th- there's obviously some classics on there, mm-hmm. but he's, he, he made music to make music because he was creating a musical art piece. Yep, that was and, the cool part about Bowie. And, and along those lines, I heard uh, Jewel on the Joe Rogan podcast, very similar. That she she didn't have this goal of like just putting out one album. That like she wanted to be a thirty, forty, fifty year musician, mm-hmm. and so she was just going to be open to whatever the creative process did, and not be beholden to the record labels. God, that's great, right? And we, so we it's need, just we need more people like yeah, that. Yeah, we need more we need more artists like that, especially yeah. in this day and age with the. Uh, you know, you do a duet and create a, uh, you know, one song that sells, you know, a million, you know, streams and, mm-hmm. and, and get past that and go back to, I'm going to create albums that have, uh, you know, my creative input on the entire thing. Right. You know, I, right. I don't know how you get back to that. I mean, obviously, I'm, you know, I'm not a musician, but mm-hmm. uh, that's where as a fan, I would love to see people getting back to that mm-hmm. uh, instead of just trying to create, Oh, you know what? If we create one really good song at a 99 cent download, we'll make, mm-hmm. you know, X amount of dollars. You yeah. Know, go and back to that album, you know, that whole album yeah. concept yeah. or, you know, one kind of style or consistency or whatever you want to call it. Uh, going back to the, you know, instead of making somebody buy a 99 cent song, make them buy a $10 album. Right. And and you can see you can see the people that listen to the record labels because from one album to the next, yeah, it'll be different songs, but like the sound is so similar, mm-hmm. and and not that people can't do that, like 
you know, people are free to do whatever they want, honestly. Yeah. And it would be so hard if I somehow became a musician overnight and uh, had this really hit album and the record label comes and says, you know what, we're going to advance you like three times what you just made on that last album just to put us out another very similar album. Mm-hmm. How hard is it to go? Well, no, I feel my creative juice is going um, bluegrassy, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you know, and 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 they'll, they'll be like, well, we're not going to put that out, even though you've made us millions. Like, mm-hmm. we're not putting that out for you to yeah. to, to stick with that, rather than. I mean, well, and then, and then I need you, my kids to be fed years yeah. from now. Well, and then you, know? you, as the musical mm-hmm. artist, then you say, "Okay, well, I'm contractually obligated, so I'm going to make a crap fest." <laughs> and then, you, then you're creating music that is that you're not passionate about, you don't like, and I mean yeah. that's got to be a horrible feeling yeah. for a creative person to have to be forced into an obligation doing something that they feel is half-hearted. So, uh, you know, when you when you fulfill that contractual obligation how do you feel about music after that have you lost a little bit of that creative edge because you had to you know kind of whore yourself out to right, create a right so you, a little you know, bit of your soul you know, yep. superstar album part two mm-hmm. and then you know what's left in the tank after that after you've been embittered yep. uh, by by being put into that situation by your record label right yeah I mean, I, I read a lot about um, other successful musicians before I decided to, to try to do it on my own. And the thing that I kept on hearing over and over again was, um, man, I really miss the days when we were just writing music or when we were just a couple of guys in a, in a, in bar, a, garage. Yeah. a bar garage playing even cover music. So we, we didn't have people in the front row screaming that they want to hear the thing that we wrote 10 years ago oh, yeah. again and again and again. We could just play the music we wanted to play for the fun and enjoyment of playing it and creating it. And so I would read that and go, okay, even as I was just beginning. And I think that really helped me. I, I, I thought, or I just, I had this feeling of, well, I'm, if I keep going, I think I'm going to be a musician. And if that does happen, and if one day I, I make a lot of money, I, I just know that right now is the time I'm going to look back on. And, in, and this is the time that I'm going to look back on and go, oh, that was, those were the days mm-hmm. when I was just, you know, scraping and I was just learning every song I could and, you know, begging people to give me a chance. And then I would, and then I'd get that, that round of applause after a song I'd be working on. And I just feel like, yes, you know, because then I, I feel like, that's the work and and our society for some reason or another it doesn't feel like we are valuing the process the artist process we're mm. we're valuing the artist product you know so yeah i value you if you write another hit song that makes a million dollars that's what i value so you need to know that when you're doing your creative thing and so i feel like that's the American Idol and all these all these quick ways to fame and fortune and the YouTube channel yeah. stuff they just they discourage you like they discourage you to try to have fun with the process. Like I, it looks like I'm just playing at a bar, you know, it looks mm-hmm. like I'm not making enough money, but what's really happening is I'm having the time of my life. I, I don't, I have very little th- things to worry about. I'm, I'm even at a place where I can kind of do it on the regular. And I just, I'm, I'm loving what's happening. I, I know that soon I'm going to have to maybe make some changes once I get a little busier here and there, but that's why I'm enjoying it so much right now. Yeah. I'm sitting on my stool. I'm playing whatever song comes to my mind. And if I want to learn another song and play it differently tomorrow, I can. Yeah. And I'll get paid for it. And, and someday that might end, you know, so right now I really want to enjoy, enjoy it. Yeah. Enjoy it. Mm-hmm. That's, um, uh, I, I, 
try to, when it comes up in conversation, I try to tell people that it's very important to enjoy your life Mm -hmm. uh, because right now, especially everything is like, there is this constant bombardment uh, of expectation that you should monetize Mm -hmm. every single thing that you do mm-hmm. and which is ironic because we're on a podcast but <laughs> right. i mean aside from that because this is this is what you guys want to do and you're enjoying yep. it and uh it it doesn't i don't know i guess i i speak from the old uh you know artist guy mm-hmm. before we opened the diner so mm-hmm. uh, i did uh, i i worked for an advertising agency and then i taught uh graphic design at msu and then i freelanced mm-hmm. so I, I i kept pretty busy um because I enjoyed it. I loved yeah. being creative and being an artist and, and being in advertising so much that I work, you know, 50, 60, 70 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it, it wasn't really work. I enjoyed it. Uh, and I never looked at the monetary side of it mm-hmm. in the sense of, oh, my God, you know, I should be a millionaire. I should be driving a Lamborghini. I mean, yeah. I didn't look at it that way. I looked at it like, am I enjoying my life and the time that I'm spending Uh, doing this stuff. And I always did. And if I didn't, then I figured out a way to get out of it Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and, and just say, okay, I got to go back to, to enjoying things because life is not about uh, constantly trying to make, you know, make money off of every single move that you, that you do. You've got to enjoy it and, you know, money will come your way and money's very handy. Uh, Money, you know, takes care of a lot of things. Money's important, all those things. But I don't think that money is more important than uh, getting along with your life and enjoying what you do. Because, uh, you know, if you think that you only get one spin around this planet, man, do you want to waste it, you know, earning a bunch of money in a cubicle? Or do you want to waste it playing guitar and and paying the bills and being happy? Right. And so so that's that's a really fine line to walk. Because Joe and I questioned, like, should we monetize the podcast? Mm Mm-hmm. But we, what the, the conclusion that we came to was, well, we really enjoy this. And if we want to give the, the best product possible, it kind of needs to be what's supporting us, right? Mm-hmm. And so they, they always say, you know, uh, well, there's different ways of saying it. But I, I, I just am a firm believer in, like, do what you love. And just like you're saying, like, the money will come. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so we're going to have to put a little work into it. But this is, we, we totally enjoy sitting down with people and, and hearing their thoughts on different subjects. Yeah. Like, like it's so enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And so now, like, let's just make this how we, we earn a living, which is difficult. It's, it's hard to turn it into that. It's a big step, yeah. It's, it's a big step. But also, I'm not, what we're not trying to do is, is every step of the way monetize every single thing because it's all about money. It's mm-hmm. literally like, let's just get the wheels turning <laughs> so that we just have yeah. enough that we don't have to have a second job. We want this to be the, the thing that we do. It's about your guys uh, having the freedom to be creative in your own way. Mm-hmm. And when, I, th- I think when it's about that, that it always finds a way to work out. When it's all about, well, you know what? I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this here and I'm going to move to LA and I'm going to become famous. I'm yeah. going to be an influencer. When you have that, those kind of expectations, you almost lose sight of what makes your 
thing that you're doing unique mm-hmm. and uh, presentable to other people because right. you guys right. co- you guys come off in this podcast as very genuine and having fun and all those things and that translates. Right. Uh, you know when you constantly have this thing in your in, in the in your forefront of your brain thinking I got to make money I got to do this I got to sell ads I got to when when that's the chief driving. Th- Th- component to what you're doing, I don't. I, I don't think it works out. You're, right. you're the passion for what you're doing gets lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and so, so our our motivation is we want to we want to sell ads once every six months. Yeah, yeah. Because we we want to focus so much on on the product we're giving people, and our ads are going to be unique. Like we don't want them to sound like every other ad. We mm-hmm. want them to 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 be. Also, a product that we're, we're giving not only to our partners that partner with us, but to our our consumers of the the podcast, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And we we uh, not in any way to trick anybody or anything like that, but like we want to believe in in the people that are are supporting us. But we don't want it to turn into what you're you're exactly saying that everybody yeah. just feels like the only reason we ever started a podcast is because of all these bazillion ads in here that sound like any other ad, yeah. right? Like we want to make mm-hmm. this like about who we are and and what we believe in, and um, not to make this all about our podcast, but like just like you're saying, if you every time somebody wanted to. Um, talk to you at the the store you're just like well i'm a busy man so it's fifty dollars an hour (laughs) yeah you know if somebody wanted to wave at you through the thing and you're monetizing that well of course like you're making burgers is what makes you happy but it's also what (laughs) keeps the lights on yeah yeah right Mm -hmm. yeah exactly But, but you're doing this thing that that gives you passion and it's so obvious to see and also that like you really love graphic design right yeah and so that you've been able to tie this this that's the only thing we need to add to the podcast is that we just always need to be eating yeah. um, <laughs> some, somehow yeah because you've, you've been able to tie food and graphic design together to make this this cool restaurant and that's what we're hoping for is that that this podcast is is that type of recipe right yeah yeah where you <clears throat> you you pull in those those other passions and you kind of are able to make it work and you're not forcing it you know, mm-hmm. it, you just kind of let it happen and you, you just kind of organically figure out your, how to work your passions into your product. Right. And that, that I, I see you guys doing that. That's what we've done at the diner and, and, mm-hmm. and me mostly because I do, I miss, I miss being a, a, an illustrator and a graphic artist. I miss that part. I wouldn't go back to it because I absolutely love uh, the diner. I would, mm-hmm. I'm there seven days a week and I love it. I just, I love that whole thing that we've created. Um, but the graphic design part is always fun to go back to because it engages a different part of my brain. And that was a huge part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I, I've been, I've been drawing since I was four years old. I mean, well, I just, that was my thing. And I was convinced um, I was going to spend my life being an artist. And it was a uh, very jarring, uh, like you guys experienced, you, you take that leap and I took that leap seven years ago with a diner. I thought, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm throwing away uh, everything that I worked my almost my entire life for, uh, that familiarity, everything. And I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing that away to do this thing that I, I do believe in. And boy, was that scary. You know? yeah. Oh, so, absolutely. So yeah. I, I, I get where you guys are at, too. That, that, I think it was two podcasts ago that you guys uh, had that kind of deeper discussion about uh, get, you know, making that plunge and, and starting to do this and, and just where your, where your mindset was mm-hmm. on uh, jumping into doing the podcast full time. And I remember thinking, I'm like, you know, good for those guys, because that's, um, 
that's what life's all about. Right. And, well, know? and that's what I thought is if we, th- we were almost at a point to where we, it was, it, it's work. It, it isn't, um, yeah, it's, it's easy to come out to your house mm-hmm. and enjoy this room and to, but it is work to, um, pack everything up and make sure it's all nice and neat and then create the art and get it scheduled in time and promote it on social media. And like, there's, there's a lot of work scheduling. Um, we actually mm-hmm. rescheduled this one and it was scheduled a month in yeah. advance, I think like, and we even had to reschedule there, there's, there's work into it. And so we realized like the more we wanted to pour into this, this thing that we love, it was going to take away time from the other things that we're doing to, you know, make money. And it's like, well, we either stop doing the thing that we're, we're loving right now and pouring our love into or it needs to start making us money so that we can we can pour even more into yeah. it. And so I'm really looking forward to, um, just like you're saying about music, right? Mm-hmm. Like we can look back six months, a year from now, and go, oh, those you know those were the days. Mm-hmm. But but to see how it's progressed, just like you seven yeah. years ago, you, you, uh, it was wheat Montana instead of harvest great uh, harvest, great bread, harvest yeah. bread, and um, it was probably different burger, different fries, right? Mm-hmm. Where, where are you getting your potatoes from? Yeah, and it, the, and the potatoes ironically have uh, have stayed the same this oh, whole this whole time. Always come from Manhattan, Montana. <laughs> yes, okay. Yeah. So we were able to do that, but yeah, you you get to see that uh, that progression, like yeah, that progression. You know, oh man, I mean, we used to we used to peel potatoes by hand. We got pictures of Tara's daughter Caitlin uh, peeling potatoes by hand, and I think, oh my god, Whoa. I mean, the beginning stages of that business was a nightmare. How, how do you peel potatoes now? <laughs> What's that? How do you peel well, them now? Well, so we we used to peel them by hand. Then we were able to save up enough money to buy a potato peeler. Uh-huh. Is it like a rock tumbler? That's what I'm imagining. Yeah, it's like a yeah, it's almost like a rock tumbler. It's a big thing that spins the potatoes against a rough edged like sandpapery yeah, kind and, of thing. And and so we used to do that uh, before we cut the potatoes. And then uh, we changed a little bit of our fry process, and we got rid of the potato peeler. Um, so that was after, I mean, we, we peeled potatoes for, oh, I don't know, probably three or four years. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, the first, I don't know, six months, I remember, I mean, the potato peeler was $1,200. Yeah. And I remember thinking, wow, we were looking at that. And I mean, I was like a little kid looking at the Millennium Falcon. I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, man, what if my mom bought me that? I mean, that's, that's uh-huh. when we looked at the potato peeler because, you know, when you start out, you're, you're piss broke, yep. you know? And, yep. and, you know, we didn't have any rich uncles to help us out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, I always joke about it, but it's true. Um, the, the financing for the diner came from comic books, graphic design, and my 67 Impala. That's what I sold to get that place open. And I had didn't have two nickels to rub together for a long time. And that was why we were doing potatoes by hand and, you right, know, right. and peeling them. And I mean, we were back there in the, you know, in between orders, we'd have to run back into the, into the dry storage and, you know, peel potatoes. And then, you know, if we were busy at the end of the day, I had to grab all the cooks and we'd go back there and have a, have a peeling party. And we'd just sit and we'd have to like peel a couple bags of potatoes. And you guys was, can go home after you've done 50 potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. It was, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, go on, go on back to that it's it's uh it's fun to look back and say you know thank god we're not there anymore mm-hmm. <laughs> but they were the good good old times right yeah yeah like yeah. even though it was hard work and um there's uh somebody i listened to uh, mentions there's there's two levels of fun there's like roller coaster fun you're, you're having fun in the moment but i'm not going to tell you about a great roller coaster i rode right yeah it went up and around 
and my stomach like it, it's just a bad story yeah but then there's the times where you try to go camping and the, uh, you get two flat tires in your van mm-hmm. uh, well no three by the end of it wasn't it yeah three flat tires three oh, flat geez. tires by the end of it that is not fun in the moment no I was it was horrible retelling the story now one of my favorite stories one of his yeah. favorite stories and favorite times because you're overcoming adversity you're going through it you're working with um, Tara's daughter like right there you yeah. know and so it's just yeah, it's really it's really cool, really cool. Um, yeah, enjoy the stuff while you're going through it, people. Even if it's hard, I mean, when you are celebrating your eventual victory, you're going to be talking about the hard times. Oh and, yeah, and like, and that makes the victory and success all the sweeter. I mean, the harder it is. I mean, yeah. I don't want it to be super hard, but yeah. come on. Well, you gotta have you gotta have hard times, and that again, circling back to how how people feel like they don't need to understand the process. They just want to go from mm-hmm. point A to point C without understanding point B. Yeah. Point yeah. B is where all the mistakes and problems and uh, issues and bad times, that's when all that happens. Mm-hmm. So that when you get to point C, you, you've you learned something. Because you learn stuff from those three flat tires, whatever mm-hmm. it is. You've learned, <laughs> I've learned stuff from peeling potatoes in the back. I mean, mm-hmm. you that's that's the area where you learn things. And in, in this modern age, it seems like we just want to skip over that mm-hmm. because we have the internet, we have YouTube. I can I can read a video, uh, you, or I can watch a video. <laughs> I, can, I can read a tutorial. Uh, all those things that, that make you skip that part where the learning lessons happen, where... You know, you get hit in the head, and mm-hmm. then then you remember those things. So we're we're losing that that aspect of of learning, experimenting, playing musical instruments, drawing, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Yeah, we're we're trying to get past that that middle part. Yeah, just by for comfort level, right? Yeah, like, like we really want to stay comfortable. If you watch the movie Wall-E, it's a it's a play on what will look like, you know, a mm-hmm. few hundred years from now and everybody's in those like hovercrafts, they're all overweight and easy chair hovercrafts, yeah. Right. And when they're playing like tennis, they're actually not there's two robots playing tennis as them, right? Cuz oh, ten- yeah. tennis is hard <laughs> and to learn how to actually hit the ball, mm-hmm. then it's kind of a play on on where we're trying to go. I always re- relate it to the microwave, right? And I actually thanked my microwave the other day because it made having some leftovers really easy. Mm-hmm. And my wife my wife and I had we had leftover pizza, leftover pancakes, and leftover steak all in like 20 minutes, right? It was like a, <laughs> like a three course lunch. And I said, well, thank you, microwave. But that's, we all want to microwave, um, the, the education and to relate to, to, um, graphic design. I'm not a graphic designer by any means and would never call myself that, but I have messed around with Adobe Photoshop, Adobe mm-hmm. After Effects <clears throat> and, and different things. And I've had to get knocked on the head a few times of, you know, just remembering to save when you had an important part of <laughs> yeah. an important part of your video, right? Mm-hmm. Um, actually, you need to save about every fifteen seconds. But every change you make, because guaranteed, you get ten steps down and you forget that cool way that you made the transition between two clips, and then it it forgets that you did that, and and mm-hmm. everything shuts down, and it crashes, yeah. yeah. Or or mm-hmm. you you look at a photo for so long and you're trying to add the right filter to make it look right and then you post it and everything looks orange and you're like what happened <laughs> you know but you learn those things mm-hmm. you're like oh i've got to take a break because my eyes actually adjusted to this off yeah filter i put on and it made everything look okay and my brain like went with it and, I, and so now i take a break when i'm editing a photo yeah. I, I step away for a little bit and come back and go oh why did i 
you know, yeah, yeah, just give your, netting too much yeah, or whatever. Got to give yourself that pause, but that you you need to you need to learn that you've got to take that pause, right? But you and know, I yeah. couldn't I couldn't watch that on a tutorial. I just mm. learned that myself, and uh, maybe I could have, but I still had to go through the process of, yeah. of doing that myself. And so, yeah, I I, I kind of enjoy I, I kind of really enjoy this conversation and how it all kind of relates when we we got to this point talking about music genres. And it started because of David Bowie. Yeah. Who yeah. I think was in the first Dune movie. Uh, that was Sting. Sting. Yes. Dang it. Yeah. It was easy. Uh, Fade, Fade easy Ralpha. to confuse those two. Yeah, oh. it was Sting. Yeah, it is easy to confuse those They're two. They're very similar. It was, it, was the, it was 83, and the hairstyle was probably was the say, same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think their hairstyle is like the same. At least yeah. it looks just like that album cover yeah. in the movie. And I watched that movie in the 80s with my parents, and... Um, Totally didn't didn't remember which which person that was. Mm-hmm. It was oh, it was Sting because yeah. they just came out with a new Dune. Yes, and I I thought it was delightful, but realized that the the new generation was like meh. Oh, they didn't they they weren't big fans of it. Huh? You know, I've got a lot of kids, and none of them really liked it. Oh, and I was like, man. Oh, that's a shame. I thought they did an, uh, a an really amazing really job. good job with it. Oh, because the I one from '83 was. Um, was good in its own campy way. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, they were severely restricted by you know the their CGI. Like their their imagination was there, but they they didn't have the technology there. Now we have the technology to see what the original Dune was, and 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 the Dune movie that just came out is a little closer to the book. Um, in then, time frame, yeah, right? like, yeah. Like, like they're now able to stretch it out. And I think they're playing as three movies. I'm, yeah, I'm and I'm sure. I'm super excited. That's <sighs> one of my favorite sci-fi books is is Dune. So it's the, um, no, I read The Hobbit. Okay, and I read Dune. Okay, like yep. that's like it. Yeah, that's like it for sci-fi and Dune. Oh, Dune is a really good, really unique good. read. Yeah, um, I I just I love the style of how it's written. Yep, um, and which I. For talking about it now, I gotta I gotta put it on my nightstand and see if I can chip away at it again because it's probably been oh I don't know fifteen years since I've read Dune. Yeah, I've read it twice, and I can't remember the last time I read it. But it's a good it's a good reread. I mean, right, right. But anyway, yeah, the the movie the movie was I thought they did a great job. I thought they did a great job too, and I think it's I I have patience for it. Right, so there's there's a few slow moving points in the movie Mm -hmm. where if you're used to watching. Avengers Endgame and Infinity War, <laughs> yeah. you know, where it's just like action, 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 yeah. action. And it, I'm not saying those are bad movies at all. I, I'm very entertained by them and, and they're they're great in their own right. But like they were, I was so happy that they were able to slow it down and like the first Dune almost feels rushed, right? Mm-hmm. From beginning to end and that they're able to have the, the right progression as yeah. the book goes. I'm really excited for it. Yeah. That was a whole sidetrack. <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, David Bowie is super interesting, and it was like a really good um, reference because uh, we brought him up because of his uh, the way he he's so creative. You know, right, he's just an right, artist, right? And it's not and about so the money. So we yeah. we definitely respect that because um, it's like we're trying to we're trying to just skip through, like you guys said, we're trying to skip through all those parts. And I think that we need to just, I mean, if I could encourage anyone, it's like we're trying to, it's we're assuming that life has an answer key, and you can just read it. You know, mm-hmm. and if life did have an answer key, let's say it's out there, you couldn't read it. You'd have to do it. There, there is no, there is no answer key for like making that burger that we had this morning. Yeah, there's, there's no answer key for playing the guitar. You know, you can't just read a book and go, oh, okay, I know how to do that. 
impossible. So if you're thinking that's what's going to happen, you should reconsider and uh, think more like David Bowie. Yeah. Just just try to create from nothing and see where it takes you. Trust yeah. in yourself. Trust, trust mm. in yourself. <laughs> and if someone says, hey, I'm not going to pay you for that, you just shrug your shoulders and go, all right, well, let's I'll do something else. Yeah, there's other people in the world. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or, or yeah, there's other people in the world, but up to however yeah. many billions of people, somebody will pay for it. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, if you, if you feel that it's creative and if you feel that it's going to work, then don't abandon that that faith in your own product, Yeah, yeah. whatever it is. I mean, that's just, that's, that's the whole point of being creative. Mm-hmm. And if you're enjoying that process and you're passionate about it, there's, there is a success out there for you. Mm-hmm. As long as you're not hurting me. Well, and, and on that creative <laughs> note, how how hard is it? I'm sure that, that sometimes it's taxing, but other other times it's it's freeing and enjoyable to make a unique burger every every week. That's uh, I would say once out of every two months, I'm just like, oh, what am I gonna do? Mm-hmm. Um, I am able to putz around on the internet and look around and get some sort of outside influence, whether it's a pop culture thing or I see an ingredient hmm. uh, or whatever. I mean, it comes from different directions. Uh, I'm very fortunate. I have I have this window of about two or three days that I get bombarded with some sort of idea or thought process uh, about creating a burger. And then when I get to the diner, I start writing notes, I start doing research, uh, and they start experimenting. Because usually uh, what I do is uh, Wednesday, Thursday is kind of like my experimental phase. Mm -hmm. And then Friday, Saturday is the day that I have to uh, either develop the sauces uh, or whatever components are on there. Or if it's something that I can't get locally, then I've got to kind of think a couple weeks ahead. Oh, right, um, right. Uh, things, have, things have kind of changed with the coronavirus and that whole mishmash of stuff mm-hmm. uh, because we can't, I can't quite get the same things that I used to be able to get three years ago. So that's a little different. So I've had mm-hmm. to kind of adjust for that. But um, um, yeah, for the most part, I usually kind of come up with stuff. You know, and the guys, the, the cooks, they're, they're throwing out ideas or comments. I mean, sometimes someone will have a funny name. Uh, and I'll write it down and I'll, uh, you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll write that thing down. I'm like, that's, that's a good name and I'll figure out something for the name. And so uh, I, I've, well, it's very similar to your graphic design then, right? So you're sitting yeah. in the office, you get inspiration from this place, that place, that place, and then you just yeah. you start building up from there. So mm-hmm. when when advertising, this is a this is an old slogan that they used to do. It would say they said that you have uh, their slogan was "Be creative on demand," uh, and it was Ooh. something that uh, they used. Uh, probably 20 plus years ago, because I remember seeing it uh, when I worked at Instaprints, when I worked pre-press there, mm-hmm. and it was on one of their discs. Anyway, I th- always thought it was a cool slogan, and I thought, man, that is essentially what graphic design is, mm-hmm. uh, or advertising. Advertising is that you have to be creative on demand. It doesn't allow you to uh, wait for inspiration or uh, wait till you feel like being creative. Mm-hmm. When you work at an ad agency or you work in advertising, you have to be creative creative on demand. And so I, I just mentally adopted that philosophy. And so over the years, I was able to develop these techniques, like looking around, being observant, um, looking at things, uh, you know, picking up little, uh, you know, knickknacks and stuff like that. If that I would see at the thrift store that I go, oh, this is kind of fun. I think this might uh, give me some inspiration 
uh, five years from now. So I'll buy it and I'll set it on my you know, <laughs> on my shelf or whatever. Uh, but I, I, I develop these these kind of methods to uh, to cultivate that being creative on demand, uh, and that's one of the things that I uh, I miss about graphic design. But I also apply to the diner is that right. I, I constantly have to be working my brain for, uh, you know, a burger idea or a shirt idea or a sticker idea or a marketing idea. I, I always got to keep that going and I've always got to be looking around for uh, inspiration to, mm-hmm. to put me in a direction of uh, an idea that I can use. Cause you right. never know, you never know what you, you go down that road. You never know if you're going to think about a t-shirt design or you're going to think about a burger, you know, just, right. hmm. it just hits you. It's like a bug hitting a windshield you know, splat, and then all of a sudden you have this idea, mm-hmm. oh, this is a good idea for a burger, or oh, this is a good idea for a shirt, you know, and just, that's just kind of the creative process. Not a, um, you, that you would go back to crickets then if you had a bug on a windshield. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey. Tara, Tara was all over that cricket burger. She loved it. That, oh. that was 100% her idea. She worked out the sauce, worked out the whole thing, because I'm like, I am not eating a cricket, but I, I totally <laughs> I totally get it for a Halloween burger. But did you try one? Uh, I think I did. Okay. I think I tried one, and that was it. Yeah. All right. And and how do you source crickets that the health department is okay with? Um. So it's a Montana cricket place. Uh, boy, I don't want to say and get the name wrong, mm-hmm. uh, but there is a place in Montana that sells crickets, and they're flavored. So you can get like Chipotle crickets or hmm. ranch crickets or what, whatever. But uh, Tara worked out a deal with them. We bought, uh, I don't know, we bought a uh, like a case of uh, dried crickets, and their health department approved that whole thing. Yeah. Wow. Um, and that was the topping on the cricket burger. And oh, I don't remember... So cool. uh, I don't remember what exactly was on it. Uh, she came up with a sauce uh, and the crickets. I can't recall, but it, it just, it, people loved it. It was, it was, and it was for, I think it was for one day uh, on Halloween. It was when Halloween actually fell on uh, a day we were open. So we wow. had, we had a lot of fun with that and people came in and we're, sure. you know, we're grossed out and yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, it was awesome. I mean, that's what Halloween's about. Yeah. That's totally what Halloween's yeah. about. I mean, and kids in costume eating cricket burgers like, oh yeah yeah we had, we had we had pictures of people in costume eating the cricket burger and yeah you know cool. yeah it was it was neat and so we, we've talked about roadhouse a bunch but i, I the last thing I, I really wanted to um bring up is is we're in your man cave right now what what do you do to to re- relax to we we used to do 10 questions with people um, mm. back in the day and one of our questions was what's your guilty pleasure and that's that's kind of what i'm asking now is like what what do you do in life and i and i think i know the answer but i don't i don't want to what do you do in life this uh, that when you've had a hard week you you've been busy maybe maybe something didn't work out right but you, you were able to overcome that obstacle you you get home or maybe it's not even at home but you go i deserve this Boy, that's that's kind of tough. Um, I am. Uh, I consider myself very fortunate that I enjoy work, and work relaxes me. So mm. I could come home after um, you know rough day or long day or whatever you want to call it, and yeah. uh, so you know I I unwind and watch TV just to kind of let my brain go. But when it comes time to uh, doing something enjoyable, I actually like to come down and 
continue working, but working on something different. Oh, so right, I'll, I'll right. come down and I'll start uh, working on a t-shirt design. Something that uh, my guilty pleasure is working on something that I don't feel like I have to work on. So when I come down and I go, okay, I'm going to work on a shirt Mm -hmm. and then I can just let my brain go and play around and draw things out. And yeah, it's a shirt for the diner or a graphic or a sticker or whatever I'm working on, but I don't feel the stress like you have to get this done. Like I don't like when I have to change the menu or I have to create a, uh, an ad for the special next week. I mean, I love doing that, but that's something that has to be done. But when I get to chill out and spend some time on something, that's when I work on, that's when I get to, I get to do something a little more creative, like a sticker or a t-shirt, something that doesn't necessarily have a deadline. Right. So, uh, I, I, I love to work. And, and it's kind of a combination. I mean, I know I've, I've got this room, I've got all my records, but what I do is I put on a record and I get to work mm-hmm. and I start working on a design and that's my relaxation. So my yeah, relaxation yeah. is kind of like work in a different form. Um, I don't, uh, you know, I, I mean, look at me. I don't play sports. You know, I don't ride my bike. Okay. I don't hike. I don't do those. I don't do those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm just kind of a working guy. I love mm-hmm. to engage my brain uh, in work or research or whatever. So um, yeah, I'm I'm a super homebody. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I don't I don't go out. I don't do a lot of those things. You know, I don't go to concerts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't get to. I don't do a lot of that. But that's because I enjoy. Uh, what I what I get to do for my life, yeah. and so uh, I don't feel like I have to break away uh, and have uh, an indulgence uh, of of what you know normal people do. Because I'm very fortunate that when I come home and I get to do some work, I get to work on diner stuff. But it's it's like cool stuff that I enjoy working yeah, on. Yeah, like I the have... project you're looking forward to. Right? Yeah, like, yeah, like, and it doesn't have a deadline. It's just yeah. like, oh, we probably need a new T-shirt. And in I hope the next that didn't six months. Yeah, and I hope that didn't come across as like you know. No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, incredibly <clears throat> convoluted, but no, you're. Yeah, I just I, I love I love to work, and I always have. And uh, one of the things I tell people is that uh, I've been very fortunate. I've gone through my life, uh, and I've probably had two jobs my whole life that I absolutely hated. Uh, every other job uh, from the age of 16, I figured out a way to enjoy that job. And yeah. when I couldn't enjoy the job, whether it was uh, making sandwiches at Dagwoods, running deliveries for Pisanos, uh, stuffing newspapers at the Tribune, whatever I was doing, I figured out some way to enjoy it because I knew I had to work. You know, you, right. you got to work and make money and pay rent and et cetera and so <laughs> forth. Right. So uh, I, I always kind of uh, have been very thankful that I can enjoy coming home and doing work uh, for myself, for our business, you know, to help promote Terra, promote the roadhouse, whatever it is I'm doing, I get enjoyment out of that. Oh, I'm just, I'm just glad in your answer that, that music was a part of it. Yeah. <laughs> that music was, you know, you're like, ah, oh, I put on a record and, and start creating. Oh yeah. That's yeah. totally a great answer. And your answer is your answer. Like whatever relaxes you, relaxes you. Yeah, I can't. My uh, history of listening to music while I work. So even when I worked at uh, Instaprints, I worked at the ad agency. Uh, I, you know, I was at my desk and like most uh, desk jockeys get to do, they get to like listen to their own music. And, you know, right now there's Spotify and, you know, you can have all this stuff. Well, mm-hmm. when I was younger, and this is, this is talking like in the 90s, uh, I would create playlists. So I'd have my Iron Maiden playlist. So uh-huh. uh, I would listen to Iron Maiden eight hours a day, 365 days a year for probably 25 years. Hey. Straight. I listened to Iron Maiden with very brief 
changes, whether like maybe Judas Priest came out with a new album or some mm-hmm. other band came out with an album, I'd listen to it for a couple of days. But I listen to Iron Maiden uh, all the time, all the time, constantly, nonstop at my desk jobs. And that's, it's like, it's like soothing music for me, which Tara makes fun of. She goes, how can you relax to that? I'm like, oh, Iron Maiden is like a lullaby to me because wow. I've I, listened to it so much. I was going to say, I, I had a buddy that um, loved very similar types of music as you. He was uh, essentially my battle buddy in the army and uh, him and I, you know, our, our families had dinners together all the time and whatever. And, and this was his kind of music. And it's it's how he calmed down. It's how um, it it freed up brain space for him. Mm-hmm. It, it did all sorts of stuff. And so, I mean, that's very similar to um, you know you having the wrong answer for you know how do you relax? Yeah. You know what type of music do people? I mean, yeah, maybe you think of um, Enya or orchestra music and and you know that kind of stuff is what's supposed to relax you. That doesn't relax me at all. Yeah. Like I. I'm not a huge fan of that. I, I'm, I appreciate all music, mm-hmm. and and especially if it, it took work to get there, and you can you can feel that in the music. But I'm not relaxed by a lot of that music. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and more towards the heavier side of things does actually, you know, yeah, bring me some relaxation. Uh, yeah, it's the perfect example of to each their own. Yeah. Know? Right. Right. Yep. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, I didn't know where this conversation was exactly going to go. Is, is, are, do you have any nuggets through your research that you really have to get out, Joe? Yeah, let me think here. Um, because we got the one that we teased on Tuesday. Yeah, the cool this, epiphany that I had. And basically my epiphany is I, I came to the same conclusion or a similar conclusion that Stephen Harris did. I mean, just you're instead of, I mean, if you want to be a good musician and even if you want to play heavy music, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to hurt yourself and play hard. Yeah, you can. I mean, if you're a golfer, think golf. Mm. Just you're supposed to relax. Just think about the swing and don't try not to hurt anything. And you will crush that ball. Um, let's see what else. I, I think I was just interested in all everything Iron Maiden ever did. I was very surprised to learn that they, except for one album or maybe a few songs, never down tune their guitars. They're always in like E minor and a standard tuning. You know, which is kind of impressive. Um, for for uh, for how old those guys are, yeah, you'd, yeah, you'd think to them, you'd think like, oh, well, they probably did the down tuning thing like everyone else did, you know, because it gives it this heavier sound, and maybe that's what they go for. Yeah, and, nope, they just dabbled a little bit and said, hey, we do what we do. Yeah, and there, uh, just to go off one more thing on Iron Maiden, if mm-hmm. if anybody uh, wants to uh, hear some of Iron Maiden's newer stuff, the new album uh, mm-hmm. Senjutsu is. Uh, very, very good. It is probably, and I am a lifelong uh, Iron Maiden fan. I've been listening to Iron Maiden since I was uh, 11 years old. Yeah. Uh, much to my mother's chagrin. More than a so, quarter of a century. Yeah. So um, this, uh, their new album is uh, as good as anything that came out in the 80s. It's uh, it's very impressive. Wow. And uh, a lot of people, they, 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 they were, you know, heavy metal in the eighties. Mm-hmm. And then when, uh, Bruce Dickinson left, there was a hiatus and then they came back in 1999, mm-hmm. uh, for brave new world. And that took on, that's when they had the three guitarists because they had, uh, Yannick Gers, mm-hmm. uh, came in for Adrian Smith. So they had, mm-hmm. uh, they had Dave Murray and Yannick Gers, mm-hmm. uh, in, in, after Bruce Dickinson left and then Adrian Smith left, who's the other lead guitarist. Gotcha. And so Bruce and Adrian came back into the band, uh, in 1999, 2000. Uh-huh. And they said, we're not going to kick out Yannick Gers cause he's 
he's been here and he's you know pulled his weight hmm. so that's when they said we're going to have three guitarists hey. and so they got into this very meticulous almost progressive metal mm-hmm. um very to, masterful to leave room um, for all the different parts yeah orchestration mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh it, it kind of it, it went into a different direction a good direction mm-hmm. um but a lot of people are stuck on you know oh it doesn't sound like what it sounded like in the 80s metallica is another great example where mm-hmm. people uh don't like new metallica because it doesn't sound like 80s metallica and so you have yeah. a little bit of that from iron maiden um and their new album which is doesn't sound like the 80s but is just such a super strong just a good album uh, just a very good album from start to finish mm-hmm. and um, just came out last year right? yeah just came out uh yeah last like, year like, like 21 no, yeah november or something like that <laughs> uh, so it's still out there so if you are interested in checking out iron maiden uh, that's a good new one, and obviously the classics uh, are always always good. But uh, they they are one of the bands that are producing uh, excellent material, and that's why they're the they're one of the best because they have progressed into they keep producing masterpieces fifty well, years later. I was gonna say, like, you gotta yeah. be kidding me that they put out an album in the seventies and then they just had one last year that came out. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, I did have something else. I rem- I, I um. It just came to me that Stephen Harris, so you had mentioned that you had tried to play the bass guitar. Yes. Right? Okay. And um, <clears throat> and you go online, and some guy is like, well, here's the basics, and you, and you look at the basics, and you forget the basics, right? Yeah. And you're like, dang it, I'm frustrated. Well, I just read, I think it was yesterday, it could have been this morning, that I was just, I was, you know, trying to cram, you know, a little, whatever I can find. Um, but I read that Stephen Harris um, doesn't know the first thing about... Um, music like he if you ask him oh what scale do are you using he actually doesn't know he he doesn't know scales he may know notes you know but really what he does is he just has um so the the main thing that makes their music is his galloping style so Mm -hmm. that's something that he can do that basically no one else can do but as far as musicianship you know and learning things and thinking you have to know this or know that or any theory um, he doesn't know anything. Oh, he, he just plugs it in, tunes it up, and goes. Well, I like that note, and then I guess I like that note too, and, and I'll has, keep playing those. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? Yeah. That's that. That's actually somewhat inspirational. That that makes me want to go. Oh, well, maybe I'll just play around with it and that's not right. and not try to watch any how-to video. You don't need like this deep knowledge. Like, and, and a lot of places on YouTube are going to try to like entice you. You know, the five things that every beginner has to know and it's all bull crap. You don't have to know any of those things. Okay, so I did watch a video, a, a specifically a five things you need to know <laughs> to play bass or whatever. That was, that was one of my starting points. I spent most of my first year or two watching those videos on guitar and just getting frustrated because mm-hmm. there is an unlimited amount to learn like there is just too much like you can't know everything about cooking but you know enough to get some stuff done that's music you know you just kind of figure out like first you you just want to figure out like well what do i want to do do i want to be able to make some noises or play along with people or do you want to have to write it and then it and then once you know that and you've got your goal well then just i mean look yourself in the mirror and go what can i do any of this or do i need to invite over joe to help me get started Mm -hmm. and then joe can go away and i'll have this recorded and i'll I'll practice this but that's what you can do i mean you can anyone can learn music you don't have to know you don't have to memorize one thing as long as you have a goal and and you like the sounds of what's going on like i've gone to yeah i i've gone to like punk shows and um 
and punk shows, and not all of them, and there's different genres of punk, but one of the characteristics of punk is that they, um, they like vehemently don't care the way you should be playing, you know, quote unquote, should be playing your instruments. Mm. They don't care. If your bass amp is broken or has a rip in it and it doesn't actually sound good at all, sounds like a, a dump truck farting, you know, or yeah. whatever. <laughs> um, they'll be like, well, that's the way we play tonight because it's all about the attitude. It's all yeah. about this. It's about completely different things than we might think that it is. But um, in most punk bands, then when they started, they were just like, hey, let's make some loud, quick noise. Don't worry about anything else because the fans will love it. And yeah. That, that was it. That was the, the fans was the got formula. into the energy of it, not necessarily the musicianship of it. That's right. I was listening to, uh, I don't remember what kind of metal it was. Let's say it was sludge metal friend of mine was saying, hey, check this out. This is a band in town, and they're, they're recording this. What do you think? And I was like, oh, well, I, you know, I can't hear what he's saying. And I, you know, those guitars sound kind of weird. And mm. you know, what's the, why does the drums sound like that? And you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> giving all these opinions, right? And I was like, well, hold on. What are they trying to sound like? Like, yeah. do they have, like, who's their favorite band? And he goes, oh, yeah, well, they actually wouldn't stop talking about this album and this band. And he put on the most famous song. And I was like, oh, you know what? I take back everything I said. They're that makes sense. they're nailing it. They, yeah. they sound exactly <laughs> the way they're supposed to sound. And I just you know because I have to like I may think that I'm this knowledgeable musician, but it depends on context. Yeah, because in certain contexts, I don't know anything. I think that's where all the subgenres come from. Is that mm -hmm. you know people try to describe well, you know I want to sound like this, but I want it to be more extreme or I want it to be more growly or whatever, and mm -hmm. they have to you you have to have these subgenres so that you have the context. So you go, oh, this band is extreme metal. This band is black metal. This band is death metal. So in your mind, you go, okay, I know what to expect from black metal. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to try out this band rather than just like going, oh, this guy's got a cool album cover. And it sounds like, you know, someone playing on a couple dead cats, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, and you're just like, oh my God, this is horrible. But if you go into it knowing what the genre expectation is, then it's, you're like, oh, this is cool because you have this, this preconceived notion of this is the range of how the singer's supposed to sing, or this is how fast or slow the guitar is supposed to be for this particular genre. And then you can, you can enjoy it a little more mm -hmm. in, in, in the experimental part. Whereas if you just put an album on, and you don't tell anybody what it's supposed to sound like. It's like Joe said. You're like, oh, that's, that that sounds weird. Why is that? Why can't I hear him? Why why is the you know why is the snare drum sound like that? I mean, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, it's really interesting. Can can I put you on the spot real quick? Mm, okay, okay. <laughs> on on the drive on the drive here, mm -hmm. um, you were you were telling me about this, and I forgot until you just mentioned right mm -hmm. that he didn't know scales and stuff like that. Right, right. And when you explained it to me, you did it in. I, I'm like, I'm guessing your interpretation of his voice. Oh, uh-huh. In like a, a British. Oh, Steve, in Steve Harris's voice. In like a British <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, accent. Yeah. Uh-huh. I really think our listeners would appreciate okay. just hearing, you know, like, like maybe I could ask you a couple interview questions about scales and notes. Okay. And, <laughs> and so, Joe, um, you know, what, what scale were you in at that point? You know, I don't really know scales as much. Because, you know, I'm like, I tried to sit down and learn the scales, and I was all like, ah, why not sod off? <laughs> <laughs> Got to throw in some British lingo there. Nice. <laughs> I don't even need to ask another question. You can talk more if you'd like, but that was <laughs> I think that was That's pretty what good. I needed. I needed everybody to be in that vehicle yeah. with me, because I, maybe not outwardly, was laughing, but I was just like, oh, 
This is why I love Joe. Oh, thanks, man. This is why I yeah. love Joe. I and it was it was fairly understandable. Thank oh, you. It was good. I like. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than that thick Cockney accent that you can only understand like every third word. Oh, is yeah. it like, so that, that was great. Is it Ozzy? Is it Ozzy who you just like? Oh, geez, yeah. You can't even understand. Yeah, I I'm not even sure if that's an accent. <laughs> that might be the drugs. Yeah, <laughs> it could be. It could be. Um, one one other thing I I heard about Iron Maiden is is I I actually ended up just reading a ton about Eddie, um, mm-hmm. but they they have like um, honorary degrees from different colleges. Yeah, they have tons of awards. They are um, Britain's number one heavy metal band, mm-hmm. like like dedicated. Like Britain as a country said. By popular vote too. It wasn't like mm-hmm. some like mm-hmm. obscure magazine or something yeah. that said it. It was literally they put it to popular vote, the and country. Iron Maiden yeah. was number one heavy metal of all time for Britain. And then the the last thing was um, at some they're 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 considered one of the best live oh yeah. entertainers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I was able to finally, and I told you guys how long I'd been listening to Iron Maiden. Um, mm-hmm. My my first concert my mom refused to take me to uh, was the World Slavery Tour concert in 1985. Whoa. And they were coming to McNichols Arena in Denver. And I mm-hmm. begged and begged and pleaded with my mom. So in 1985, I was 12. And my mom <laughs> said, I am not taking you to an Iron Maiden concert. And right. so, you know, through That's tam- a smart woman. Yeah, through tamper- woman. tantrum and, and, and so <laughs> forth. And so about, I don't know, eight months, nine months later, the they, they released a videotape and a live album called Live After Death. And this was the concert that you would have seen if you went to... Uh, the World Slavery Tour if you had attended one of the concerts. And mm-hmm. so I, I rented the VHS from Sweets Records and Tapes uh, by our house in Denver, and I put it in. And when I saw what I missed, I don't think I talked to my mom for a month because right. the concert was so amazing in scale and scope. They had like a 40-foot mummified Eddie crawling out on stage oh, through the man. back. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, if you guys ever get bored, you have to watch... Uh, live after death it's like an hour and 20 minutes and it's uh it's just you can probably watch it on youtube mm-hmm. i don't even think they have it on dvd i think it's uh just like ripped from vhs but anyway just the stage just the the what they did in the 80s it was huge and so three years ago uh, i was finally able to go to my very first iron maiden concert and uh it was the legacy of the beast concert so they played um this was before their new album came out so they played you know a ton of the classic stuff from uh, a bunch of the earlier albums and anyway it was just Mm -hmm. it was it was amazing but these those those guys are crazy good on stage Mm -hmm. and they're i don't know they're 60s they're in their I was gonna 60s, say, getting close easy. to 70s. Yeah, and and Bruce and Dickinson still... is all over the place, and his voice sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. I, again, because they're always touring, but their live shows um, are totally worth going to. And I, I was screaming like a madman, <laughs> all, all the lyrics and everything else, and I was annoying the people in front of me because I think they were there to just like, hey, cool, let's go see an Iron Maiden concert because right. it was in Portland, <laughs> right? You know, and so when you live in a big uh-huh. city, you're like. Oh hey, you know what? Iron Maiden's coming. Well, I'll, I'll go see Iron Maiden. It's like no big deal. But you know, for me, it's like oh my god, I traveled thirteen hours to come see this concert. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, you're gonna you're gonna yeah. wear your voice out. Yeah. Singing with so them. yeah, and, and I'm from Great Falls, where you know you don't get to see.
see stuff like that. Well, so it's very uncommon oh, yeah. to go to a big stadium concert. Oh, right. And, and it's super cool. Um, so I was really into it. And the guys in front of me are like, oh, my God, what is this guy doing? Shut <laughs> so, up. So I think this should be one of our goals as, as, a, as a collective three, mm-hmm. whoever we need to talk to. We need to try to get Iron Maiden at the Newberry. Ooh, yeah. Oh, man. yeah, for a pri- super private concert. Yeah, right, right, yeah. right. I don't know how much the seat. I, I don't know how many <laughs> seats are in there, but that they've they've brought in some. I, I've been shocked by some of the people that they've, yeah. they've brought yeah, into they, the Newberry. Yeah, they have. They have a really good draw, man. They're they're doing such a great job yeah. drawing in a variety of stuff and. That's, uh, you know, again, back to Great Falls. That's such a good thing for Great Falls. It's an amazing um, thing for Great Falls. To, so why to not just have Iron that Maiden? variety of stuff going on every couple of days down there. I yeah, love it. They brought so, in comedians. They bring in, uh, there's, a, uh, there's a metal band. I don't want to say what genre they are because I don't know um, that, that's coming here in the next few days. Oh, a few days. I would say Texas Hippie Coalition is coming. Mm, not sure. Um, they are red dirt metal to keep going into red the s- subgenre. Yeah, they're, uh, red dirt metal is, uh, is a kind of metal that hails from Texas. Uh, and they're, uh, again, very good. They're, uh, they're a more modern band, but man, they got a, they've got a really good metal sound that uh, it has got a lot of foundation in... Uh, I don't want to make them sound like '80s metal, but they have—they're uh, not—they're uh, not slow. They're not grunty. Mm. Uh, they're just—they're really good metal band. Hmm. Cool. Red dirt metal. I gotta look into this. Yeah. Yeah. There's only there's only like five bands in that in that genre. So. Oh, cool. <laughs> it's kind of funny. And Texas Hippie Coalition is one of the is is probably the most well known band in that genre. But uh, yeah, they're they're totally worth listening to. They're a really good band. So all so, I got to do is learn about four more bands, and I could be like an expert on the whole genre. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, you'd have you'd have it down. You'd cool. Be, all right, we'll talk to them. So yeah, I'll do uh, that one. Yeah, <laughs> Texas Happy Coalition. Uh, Peacemaker is my favorite album of theirs. So oh, cool. Yeah. All right. Well. Well, we I got, got yeah. I was gonna say, I, and I don't know what what I don't know where we have to go from here, but well, I do know that after we're done podcasting, we got to play a little bit of pinball. Yeah, I've got to hear the record player. Maybe take a couple more pictures just to make sure we have some stuff for social media. Yeah. But I think as far as conversation goes, I mean, this won't be the last one, but it was pretty good. I think Get I th- it last best. Last best. Yeah. I got it. I was right there with you. Thank you. Okay. I'm glad you brought our listeners in in case they weren't, though. Well, it was only for them. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And so this <laughs> this week, though, make sure you get get yourself down to Roadhouse. Mm-hmm. You, you guys, you, you now know like how much love they put into this family home cook meal and it would have been yesterday if we were yesterday listening. it came out if you're yeah. if you're listening to this on thursday when this comes out the burger will have already been out for like a day yeah so you got to get down so there. if There's, you haven't gotten it by yet what are you doing they're probably all going to be gone so just <laughs> yeah better, hurry, hurry up and get down there better call down first maybe yeah, yeah. Just, actually don't call just show up just show, come show. on, come on down or call. We do, we do, we do take out. Yeah. Oh, I, I was up, actually take, take shocked how much takeout you guys do. Yeah. Yeah. Our, uh, our takeout's very, very strong. Very strong. strong. Yeah. Tara stays busy up there getting stuff. In. And, um, uh, I know we felt like we were closing out, but your, your to go boxes on point. Oh yeah. I had, I had a lot of fun designing those. Uh, um, yeah, they're, they're they're cool. They're they're fun. That's uh that's a, a little marketing thing that I enjoy having uh, having at the diner cuz yeah. it's uh you know it's a takeaway and you know it's colorful and it's in your fridge if you have mm-hmm. leftovers or yeah. you know whatever whatever it's a it it's a good little it's a good little marketing thing for us. We love the the Roadhouse Red Box. Yeah. 
it, it's it, it well and it just adds a whole nother layer to things because like you, you guys put the love into every aspect yeah. of that restaurant. You know, you're not even missing. You didn't just order uh, the generic to-go boxes like everybody has, the styrofoam. You always use it upside down on accident. Oh, things, yeah. Right? Yeah. But you guys have this nice logoed. Yeah, they're just on point. They're yeah, just on point. thank you. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm glad. It's, I, I always love it when people notice that because that's, uh, that's one of the things that, that tends to not get noticed because it, it just kind of mm-hmm. flows with the whole brand, and that's okay. But uh, I, I love it when people point out that they like our boxes or they think they're, they're cool or creative or whatever. I just, I just like hearing when people uh, take notice of the box. Yeah. yeah. Like I'd, in a movie, it's an Easter egg. You know, you may, you may not see it, but maybe <laughs> yeah, those little things that you missed the first time. So yeah. when you're at Roadhouse, be be on the lookout for those little Easter eggs of love. Which would yeah. be totally cool if you had little like sentences or something hidden, like maybe, um, you know, a tip of the cat to Iron Maiden or something, right? Where you hide Eddie oh, yeah. on the box or, yeah. or lyrics in there music or, or you know something like that you also or yeah. You, yeah just to make your job even harder yeah just yeah. do that and just all yeah. of the burger Dro- one of those now. little details in. Y- yeah yeah <laughs> what's that cool saying um the iron maiden <gasps> yeah we didn't even talk about it so what's it? oh it, they're um, uh, up the irons up the irons up yes the irons. yeah yeah get, we can close with that yeah so up, cool? the, up the irons comes from their favorite sports yeah their favorite football team Right. Yeah, the West Ham. Uh, West Ham, the Hammers. God, I can't remember. I am not a football fan. Yeah, but, uh, me neither. European football. They love it European so much. It's on, uh, it's on the bass player's signature bass. And I never understood what it was because I'd yeah. seen his bass a million times. And I was like, why is there a little logo, like a coat of arms on here? Now I know it's West Ham. Yeah. 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 And so West Ham, their phrase is up the hammer. Yeah. Up the, That's up the right. hammer. That's right. And so if you read a lot of their... Um, Lyric, not the lyrics, uh, on their album art, they'll they'll nod to that by saying "up the iron." Yeah, and then mm-hmm. like, um, yeah, th- they're so tied in with their football team that like, That's so cool. Th- it, there was a lot of over. coalitions. Yeah, and and if you uh, if you see things on Instagram or on Facebook or wherever you might be a Reddit or wherever Iron Maiden fans, uh, kind of that that's kind of their sign off. Uh, when you're when you're talking about uh, when you're talking about Iron Maiden or you're uh, somebody posts a, an image of Iron Maiden or a record of Iron Maiden, you get yeah. on there and you say "Up the Irons," and that's right. that's just that's what you do as an Iron Maiden fan. That's yeah, like so the, you guys have a back and forth, back and forth talking about you know their their um, the three guitarists, and you you back and forth about it. Oh, I like this part of it. I like that part of it. And then you're about done. You're like "Up the Irons." Yeah, you know that's kind of that's, that's kind of your sign off. Yeah. That's like that's mm. like letting people know that. You know, go maiden. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. Kind of feels like, like the Jeep Wrangler wave. Like only Jeep yeah. Wrangler people will wave to you like that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Cool. Purple button, right mm-hmm. there, Joe. Mm-hmm. Get that thing going. Maybe. Nah. Next one. It sounds like birds. Yeah, it was crickets. I mean, uh, speaking about the cricket. Oh, burger. I didn't even hear it. That's a that's <laughs> oh. a pitch. That I, that's a pitch that I can't even hear. Okay, here we go. This should be it. There it is. There it is, our smooth little background oh. as we as we close things out. What I want to say is, there's going to be some uh, some links down below, 
we'll have our usual ones, how you can connect with us on social media, how you can connect with Roadhouse on social media, and uh, the, the two discounts we offer from Alpen Fuel and Absolute Aid. But also, I'm going to tie in down there a couple links to Spotify albums for Iron Maiden. So you can just Ooh, quickly just go. go down there. You can find their new album, Sanjutsu. Sanjutsu? Sanjutsu, yeah. Sanjutsu. Um, and maybe, maybe um, hold on, I've got it. Oh, it's gone though. Hold on. Number of the Beast. Yes. Number of the Beast. That album will be linked down there too, so you can compare these two albums. Yeah, that, that's, that a good, that's a good. That's a good. That's a good comparison. Mm-hmm. And so, so those will be the mm-hmm. two two links we'll have down there. And then also, once we're off air, I'm going to confirm with this, but I want the um, was it Bandit Games? Oh, uh, uh, Brant's Amusement. Brant's Brant. Amusement. Oh, I, that's how I have it. Yeah, I B, just couldn't read. Yeah, yeah. I, so I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have yep. that link down there as well. Absolutely. So people can go and uh, and find Brant's amusement because my uncle would have loved that. He bought, I think it was a Top Gun pinball machine. Oh, okay. And as soon as he got it, like something broke on it. Oh, jeez. And finding somebody that can work on a pinball machine, he mm-hmm. had to. He waited seven months. And drove it to California oh, in the back of his truck. Oh my God! And then um, it had to leave it there, and had to go back to California a few months later and pick yeah. it up. And those things are not light. No, they're <laughs> not light. And so, anyway, it'd be great to have that link down there too. Okay. And so, those are the things that you're going to find down below. And uh, yeah, I think that's everything we've got. Anything else you want to add, Joe? Nope. Maybe in a British accent, if you want to add it. All right, you lot. Thanks again for <laughs> tuning in. It's been uh, it's been real. It's been fun. You haven't got up in my face and spit any gob in it. So right, uh, maybe next week we'll be talking about this and that and the other. So uh, you'll have to tune in, right? <laughs> ne- next week. That's a good point. Next week, British Joe, we have <laughs> British uh, Joe. <laughs> we have uh, Great Falls from the bottom up. That's the episode mm. you can look forward to where we get Ike Kaufman and Ashley McCann yep. from the, the History Museum. And we sit down with them and we talk all things Great Falls history. Nice. Super awesome conversation. Oh, Ike is a stud. I love yes. Ike. Right. And so it's going to be just, I think, uh, as I'm feeling, Jason may be a return guest that we have on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Ike will also end up being oh. a return guest every yeah. once in a while yeah. to, to really dive into some, some Great Falls history. And so that's what you can look forward to next week. We appreciate all of you. You're ready for the sign-off because we just did it this morning, right? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've been Brian. I've been Jason. I've been Joe. Up Whoops. the irons. <laughs> <laughs> that's not our sign-off? <laughs> Love it. Nope, but that okay. was good. <laughs>